Welcome back to Homestuck Made This World, a show about the critical analysis and contextualization of the webcomic Homestuck. I am Michael, and with me, as usual, is Cameron. Yep. Here I am. <laughs> All right. All right. No no, uh, cute little voices or, or bits to do today, I see. Nope. Got nothing. All right. Well. It's, it's, it's uh, time for Act 4. This is the, the time for Childish Games has passed. <laughs> We're in adult city now. It's act four. Yeah, this is act four. We are in episode three. We have two episodes of this podcast done. Two. And now we're mm-hmm. getting into the third episode. We're already on act four. Uh, it's going to be a breeze. It's going to be great. We only have, you know, like Homestuck is seven acts. So, you know, we're really approaching the midpoint here. Uh, yeah, this is this is uh episode three part one and we're going to be talking about act four part one which is to say uh the division of act four that i have made up until uh page 1560 uh and unless you have something you want to say in addition to uh just stating your existence i'll begin summarizing please summarize i I beg of v all right that's good We rejoin John Egbert as he is teleported to a dusky, cloud-covered realm known as the Land of Wind and Shade. He runs around fighting imps and meeting the locals, who are a bunch of goofy, talking salamanders who explain that the Dark Kingdom of Purpo has convinced someone called the Slumbering One, who dwells underground, to pollute the land with oil and trap all the fireflies in the clouds. Of course, there are prophecies of a hero who will arrive and undo all this. There's also a bunch of weird male pipes. John eventually realizes he is on the ground below his house, which is still perched high above on a spire of rock. Nana Sprite tells him a bunch of riddling nonsense about how to ascend, you must descend. Meanwhile, on future Earth, the aimless renegade continues to try to wipe out the peregrine mendicant and the wayward vagabond until seeming to recognize the strange glyph carved into the pumpkin WV got back at the end of Act 2. This makes AR panic and rush to make nice with them. PM, WV, and AR hang out and get to know each other. PM uses WV's command station to talk to John, guiding him through the land of wind and shade as we've already seen. PM uh, remembers her own distant past when she was known as the Parcel Mistress and traveled across the land of wind and shade herself to deliver mail. Back in this time frame, she happened to run into AR, or as he was known then, the Authority Regulator, when he was in the middle of issuing a parking ticket to John's dad's wrecked car, which you'll recall got thrown off uh, the roof of John's house. AR also takes the Spurb client disc John needs to help Jade enter the game, along with the birthday present Jade sent to John. PM convinces him to give her the former, but not the latter, which he deems contraband. On present Earth, Jade gets Dave's Spurb beta discs from the weird lotus pod in the Frog Temple before Beck locks her in her room. She checks in with John, who's trying to get a hold of Rose, but finds her unresponsive. Jade, meanwhile, begins setting up the game in order to bring Dave into the medium. John is contacted by Carcinogeneticist, who is confirmed to be the alien child Spade Slick saw at the end of the intermission. CG is just as ornery as ever, but now insists that from his perspective in the future, he and the kids have all become friends. He explains that he and the other trolls have already played the game that the kids are playing in a completely distinct session. 
John does some side quests and almost gets killed by some monsters, but is saved at the last second by a man who seems an awful lot like Jade's grandpa, except alive. Meanwhile, Rose has entered the medium and arrives at her own planet, the Land of Light and Rain. Her mom takes off on her own mysterious pursuits, and like John, Rose too receives mysterious disembodied commands. While setting up Dave's game, Jade falls asleep. Dave is too busy trying to think of a way to trick John into drinking a bottle of his piss, so Jade drops the dead crow into Dave's kernel sprite. Dave's entry item then turns out to be a red crystal egg, which his bird sprite steals and carries to a high nest. On Lolar, Rose has a chat with a new troll, Gallows Calibrator, who is much more threatening than the others, provides a lot more exposition, and also types in leet speak. GC explains the medium exists in something called Paradox Space, a space-time continuum where paradoxes are not anomalies, but numerous and in fact structurally integral. The game reinforces this by sending agents known as exiles into the post-apocalyptic future of each play session's originary planet, uh, and then these exiles then use command stations to compel the players in the past to take certain steps to complete any causality loops. The agents then rebuild civilization on the planet and prepare it to play the game again. In a flashback to well before uh, this particular game began, uh, CG gets in touch with Jade, insists the kids and trolls will be friends in the future, and that he has a message for Jade from Jade's future self. Jade's dream bot is going to explode, and when it does, she needs to talk to the trolls. Jade ignores him and then receives John's birthday package via Syndificator from someone she refers to only as her pin pal, who has been helping her build or make whatever the hell this thing is. John, meanwhile, is contacted by Gallows Calibrator, who threatens to kill him, thus prompting him to change his screen name from Ghosty Trickster to Ectobiologist in order to hide from the trolls. In pursuit of John's birthday package, PM enters the Dark Kingdom of Purpo and meets the Black Queen, who, say it with me now, looks sort of familiar. The Queen orders PM to see her archagent, Jack Noir, who says he will give PM the birthday package if PM assassinates the King and Queen of Prospit for him. Reluctantly, she agrees and departs. Curious to see what all the fuss is about, Jack opens John's birthday present. He is surprised by what he finds. On the post-apocalyptic Earth, another weird giant station, this one in the shape of an egg, appears over the frog temple. It lands, and from it emerges the regal figure of the windswept questant, or WQ. Jade continues to try to set things up to help Dave enter the game before he's killed by meteors, but it's a huge ordeal, and Andrew Hussey stops using reader commands. And that's where we stop. Yep, we we uh, ended on what uh, Hussey says is the last page that they recall using a reader input command on. And in fact, uh, you know, I'll talk about this more after we've sort of discussed the the content of of this uh, chunk. Um, but also, the closing of the suggestion boxes is announced on the forums, and uh, there's a, a a kind of response to that, as you might imagine. Oh yeah, there's got to be one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this opens with a game. Mm-hmm. Another walk around. Yeah. Uh, yes, as you have called them, a walk around. Um, or as the community calls them. Yes. But and uh, I hate it. <laughs> yeah. I absolutely hate it. I think it is just terrible. Um. Um. 
it is interesting the way that this works when you click on things and you get a parser command or you know like a thing mm-hmm. and you find out that eventually that someone else has been uh manipulating john here this is not you mm-hmm. who is doing this mm-hmm. which is pretty good but uh but yeah i don't I, how do people i don't know t- tell me about this so this is this is like uh, uh an inflection point in fact act four brings in a whole lot of people um and more and more people are just going to sort of jump on here uh mm-hmm. this is a moment where the excitement around the original walk around is like echoed and like expanded like people are astonished by this particular walk around and also just to uh sort of note um it is uh programmed uh by gankra who is also the person who programmed the first walk around and i think uh helps with a couple of more uh of these kinds of similar things in the future um Mm -hmm. She's still around. Gankra is like on Twitter uh, and like occasionally I think talks about some of some of this uh, Homestuck programming experience stuff. Um, Anyway, we have that. Um, There's also much more music going on here. Uh, Really, I think what sells this walk around is that beginning of, uh, you know, kind of slowly pulling down from the clouds there's a song that starts playing it's called doctor uh by uh, it's credited in in the um you know reader app to uh buzenkai uh who this is cre- uh contrib- contributed to a couple of songs on like in sort of the the homestuck um oeuvre uh this is like one of the sort of famous ones and also uh, tragically buzenkai uh passed away a couple of years ago i believe um, so just to to note here, right? Some some of the other people who have fingerprints on this, uh, aside from Hussey, uh, and then uh, um, someone uh, named Cindy, uh, an associate of Hussey's, uh, has created a couple of art assets, uh, apparently. Um, so those get incorporated here as well. But the the big thing, right, is that up until now, as you've mentioned, uh, John's house is totally black and white. Outside has color, right? There's green grass and there's blue sky and but houses are all black and white being inside of houses. Everything is kind of black and white, except for like whatever images on the TV or what have you Mm -hmm. Um, to enter the medium. And then for John to get from his house down to the planet is an entrance into a world of full color. Right. There is a a Mm -hmm. lushness to the way that the land of wind and shade is represented here. It's like uh, blues and grays and purples. Uh, There are all these like fireflies, you know, twinkling like stars stuck up in the clouds. Uh, Doctor as a track is itself kind of a a weirdly lush arrangement of kind of, I would say, like super NES RPG music sounds. Um, There's a lot of evocation happening here with like, you know, video games, chip tunes, and sort of this move into a more colorful space. Uh, And it's uh, the, the the map, right, the, the actual area that you run around in during this section is quite large. Also, I would say, you know, f- frankly, right, having the thing uh, fade in, right, the land of wind and shade is such a, like, weird, like, swerve. Uh, not exactly. It's, I don't even Homestuck can't exactly swerve at this point because so much weird crap mm-hmm. is happening. Right. But uh it is such a, a visually and sonically powerful introduction to like this next area of the Spurb game. Uh, and then this walk around is so much bigger and more complicated than the previous ones. So for instance, um, John has a working inventory system now and you can like, 
manipulate his capture log cards, right? You can pick things up and drop them and you can pick things up and like shoot things out of your inventory. Uh, there are, are enemies like wandering around, right? Little imps, uh, and you can actually fight them now. They will like kill you if you let them, right? If you don't fight back. Uh, you can also see that they, they're not just like little jesters anymore because Rose has entered the game. So now some of them have like princess outfits on and like cat ears and tentacles. So you can see aspects of her prototyping um, entering into the game as well. Uh, and then there are NPCs, these salamanders, uh, these like yellow dudes who are just like constantly, uh, you know, stomping around being NPCs and saying NPC dialogue. Uh, it's huge. There's a lot of sort of like stuff uh, and people love it. At the time uh, when I was reading this, uh, this is not another point where I almost quit reading Homestuck, but there are. Weirdly enough, for Act 4 being the point where Homestuck locks me in, there are also like a couple of points where I got extremely frustrated with it. Uh, this is one of them. The reason I am frustrated with this walk around is that, one, it's really slow to walk around at all. Like, it feels like it takes forever to get from place to place. Uh, and sort of, two, uh, you may feel similarly here, Cameron, uh, it's not clear where you're supposed to stop or how. Like, there's not a clear end goal to any of this. So I don't know, like, you, the first time I'm playing it, I remember thinking, like, what? where does this go? Like, what am I supposed to do? How is this supposed to finish up? How do I know when I reach the point that I'm supposed to reach for this, like, before I, you know, click through to the next page of the story? Obviously, when it lands, there is no next page of the story. It's all just kind of this. But like even in an archive, I can see this being extremely frustrating in the sense that it's like, when am I supposed to turn to the next page? Yeah, I just I spent maybe like three or four minutes clicking around. And once I understood that because, you know, the thing for me, too, was like uh, you got to get into homestuck mode when you're reading these things, which is if anything here is important, it will be told to me later. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Because I'm not creating, it would be a different uh, context if I were creating my fan theories or like reading along at the time or doing something other than this project. Right. Mm -hmm. We're really just kind of, I, you know, this project is very similar to just reading it as a comic, uh, you know, for my own enjoyment. Um, if I were involved in like forum threads and really into it or really wanted to read all this kind of secondary material at the time, of course I would want to like get every little like morsel I could out of this walk around so that I could be like, oh, 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 your theory is correct or incorrect because of what I saw when I was clicking around here. But for our purposes here, anything that matters about this walk around, because there's no saving. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no way for this comic to reference anything I do. And so anything that's important will be told to me as important later. Mm -hmm. So I like I got a sense of what was going on with it. And I was like, ah, yeah, this is not like clicking on these little dudes. This is not even like an interesting flash game from the time it came out, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in 2010 or whatever. So I, I played with it for a little while and then clicked on through. There will be future walkthroughs where important things happen that will not be told to you outside of those walkthroughs. However... Uh, small panacea, I guess. Uh, future walkthroughs end up having much clearer structures in terms of like, oh, I'm doing this in order to do this, in order to do this. And like understanding that there's an endpoint to the content uh, that you're kind of trying to work your way through. So I guess I'm just letting you know, because at some point we're going to run into another walk around and you might end up being very confused if you skip through some of that stuff. <laughs> 
Well, the interesting thing about it, too, is it's like, I mean, I I take what you're saying, and mm-hmm. I, I believe you. But on the other hand, Homestuck tells you everything that's important or interesting about five times. Uh, you You cannot get through anything so far in this comic without being told almost to the point of frustration, <laughs> the same information over and over again. So I take your point, and mm-hmm. I bet that's probably true, but also I'll believe that when I see it. <laughs> I think I think we'll, we'll, we'll see how it shakes out, because I actually, I guess there's probably something to your point that uh, it will be easy to reverse engineer some of this stuff if you do skip it. We'll, we'll find out. We will test it in action. Science in action with Homestuck. We'll do it, but 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 that is an important uh, and useful information because otherwise, yes, I would like figure out. Okay, I see what's going on here, and then I would just click out of it. Mm-hmm. But okay, yeah. So uh, I mean, I you as I said, people love this. Uh, I mm-hmm. sh- shared with you a post from the Something Awful thread uh, that I just thought was you know particularly indicative, uh, which is someone who just posted. Jesus Christ, say this aloud a few times. I just spent 40 minutes reading one, quote, panel of a webcomic. Which I I, like, I think that's a very funny response, right? Especially kind of like with the, the, you know, decade of distance we have here. Uh, But like, you know, I think that's totally accurate kind of in the moment. Like this is a thing that is shocking to people uh, because it is, it is something that they've seen before, right? It's another walk around, but it is so much bigger. It has so much more kind of production behind it. Uh, Yeah. And like people, people love it right there. And it's the same thing that I mentioned last walk around where there are all these questions of like, oh, when are we going to get uh, the actual interactive battle or like being able to build a house or, you know, where can this uh, same kind of orient, the same kind of ethos, right? This uh, ethos that Homestuck seems to be presenting. What are the other ways that this might be activated in the future for different aspects of this game or different types of content? That's a thing that people are, are, extremely excited about um and and hoping to see more of yeah it's a fascinating thing because the you know this is something we've talked about already that homestuck lives or dies uh, especially in these early things around the novelty of the gutter right the the gutter generates this kind of experimental space oh what could follow mm-hmm. you know everything that we just talked about in the intermission um uh, where, where it's like go you know your guy one, go be guy two. Uh-huh. And then Hussey's like, no, you're guy three. Like all of that stuff is, is playing with that, right? It's playing mm-hmm. with this idea that, that um, when one transitions into the next space or the next panel, that um, novelty could happen. Mm-hmm. And like novelty is fun. And what's interesting is that I think the logic of the, um, the walk around that we just talked about it is, I called it a game, but I, I think it probably is closer to call it a webcomic rather than a panel of a webcomic than it is to call it a game. Not that I have hard definitions for these things, right? Mm-hmm. Don't, please, no one listening, take this to be <laughs> like I am constructing some sort of hard difference between them. But what I mean is that it has a really delimited space and it has nothing in it. There, there's there's nothing you're being prompted to in that that is not just exploring what is in the panel. Mm-hmm. You know, because there's no way for the the comic to remember what you did. There's no way for it to respond to player action in any significant way, right? Like mm-hmm. you can take things out of John's inventory and kick them around, but like the the webcomic is not going to quote unquote remember that. 
um, any more than it remembers, you know, the order that you read all the pages of before that, right? It is it is uh, audience agnostic uh, completely as far as the structure of what, what occurs there. So it is this kind of really limited space that um, at least theoretically responds to player action, but has no memory of those player actions whatsoever. It is not a long-term response. And so much like sitting and paying attention to a really complicated panel like John's room, you know, or Dave's Dave's brother's room is probably the better example where we can like really spend a minute or two <laughs> looking at each of those things and figuring out what the hell is going on here. I would say that that the walk around there is actually much closer to that. It's closer to a big room that you have to look at all the little pieces of and kind of put in your head, okay, what is this? What's it going to do? Then it is to something like a game where uh, theoretically having knowledge of all those little pieces would allow you, would give you some sort of interactive capability to carry on in memory. You know, if we are creating hard definitions of games or something like that, which I'm not interested in, but if we were, um, I think probably the idea of memory from moment to moment and a game state altering there is probably, you know, some sort of hard dividing line. Um, and it's a one that many people draw, mm -hmm. you know, you and I've read for game <laughs> study study buddies. We've read a lot of hard definitions about what a game is or not. And um, player interaction seems to always be a big part of that. But it's a responsiveness to player interaction. It's the kind of Espen Arseth, mm -hmm. you know, uh, definition that the simulation or the game on the other end is going to adapt itself to whatever choices that you're making. Patrick Krogan kind of uh, asserts that one as well in a recent episode that we did. So, it, you know, when, when the person says, I spent 40 minutes reading a panel... I think that's probably right. You know, mm -hmm. it's just a panel where the field of view is too small. <laughs> yes. Did you? I, I'm going to blow your mind. Uh, there's a magnifying glass in the corner that allows you to pull out. Yeah, I did okay. it, but not the full thing at one time. Yeah, I was right? going to say, not yeah. enough, but. <laughs> yeah, you can imagine a version of that that's the exact same thing, right, conceptually. Mm -hmm. But it is uh, pulled all the way out. So, you know, you can see this massive thing. And, and in fact, I don't know if this is in the original, but you can see a map. You know, mm -hmm. if, if you go down to the somewhere, yeah, there's a map that's linked right underneath it. That is the whole space. So it gives you an idea of where you're supposed to go. Sorry, the music is like now playing mm. extremely loudly. Uh, but, you know, you can click on that map and you can see all the places you might want to go in the space. And, but you And you can imagine a world where this is not a walk around, but it's just that whole thing and a bunch of labeled objects. And then a massive narrative dump at the bottom that's like, you see... And, you know, it's the kind of narrative function of John's room, right? Mm -hmm. uh, John is in the land of shade and heck, whatever it's called. And shade and heck, yeah. It, yeah, and, uh, you know, he sees a gremlin guy. And he sees a um, little mail carrier thing. Mm -hmm. And all that kind of stuff, right? Um, the... Uh, so anyway, yeah, I, I think the, the description of it being a webcomic panel is, like, funny... And as you're pointing out, like historically feels appropriate. But on the other hand, its modes of interaction are very similar to what we would call a quote unquote non-interactive image, mm -hmm. which really points to, and it's something we've talked about a bunch of times, but the interactivity of the images of Homestuck, even if you cannot move around or do anything in them, mm -hmm. they are sticky mm -hmm. in a particular mm -hmm. kind of way uh, that adapts very easily to a, pl a three or a 2D space, I guess, that you're moving around in and doing stuff in. Mm -hmm. So. Sorry, that's a long elaboration here, but I think it's such a fascinating thing, although not a thing I'm particularly interested in playing with. Uh, yes. 
uh, it's interesting that you note the map. Uh, that is not a thing that exists when this launches. Uh, it's a thing that gets put together later and it's been added into the archive for kind of ease of reference. So also that's the thing to keep in mind then of my first playthrough of this, of having like no map <laughs> um, and just being like, what is all of this stuff? What is happening? Is there something that I'm missing? Uh, the other thing then is that uh, historically this is when th there are still issues with the server on the website, right? Like the, mm. the readership, it like, I think uh, in a recent news post, recent, you know, relative to this point, Hussey had already done some server updates. And like by the time the intermission rolls around, even that little flash of snowman entering is crashing the website. And so huh. this is crashing the hell out of the website. <laughs> also because the initial version of it is slightly like uh, it, it's compiled in, in a slightly like uh, inelegant way that makes it chug a lot. Uh, mm. So like the problems with the hosting are are continuing to happen and more and more readers are kind of piling in and things like this right are only helping like the the what's happening in for instance the something awful thread uh is oh a new update posted ah shit it's a flash ah shit the website's down here's all of the mirrors of it right like did we get a mirror before the website went down uh and people not being able to get the mirrors to work and like you know people coming back into the thread to check to see if it's up again if they can play it now, if they can finally, it, it, it creates this kind of, um, you know, artificial scarcity of content, uh, precisely because it simply cannot be hosted. There are too many people trying to access it. That's, that's really interesting. And in something that would, you know, well, probably wouldn't happen again today. It would require a lot to like just straight up crash a website in the way that you could do back then if you were making something like this right this would be uploaded mm -hmm. to amazon servers or you know whatever big cloud farm you wanted and it would be it would be hard to do that i mean you've had issues with that in the past right with the uncle who works for nintendo but that just ended up being a big bill for you right well so what <laughs> happened that that's very funny that you mentioned the amazon thing so what happened with the uncle who works for nintendo is i made that game i posted it on my own website um because that's what we did in uh 2014 uh, mm -hmm. and then it got linked by Kotaku and that killed my website because <laughs> when I was making my blog <laughs> in undergrad, I was not like, I need to anticipate Kotaku traffic. Um, mm -hmm. and so that's when I switched it to Amazon because like, I need, like I wanted people to like be able to play the game while Kotaku was pointing at it. So I switched all the hosting to Amazon and that's when like I got incredible overage charges, uh, because again, so many people, like it didn't crash, but like so many people were playing it that like I over, overspent my, you know, bucket limit. Yeah. But, but, you know, a very similar thing happened to me, weirdly enough, with uh, Catacresis, a horror game that I made oh, around yeah. that time, maybe right beforehand. I don't know, somewhere in that same time. But where I made it, and then uh, Kirk Hamilton, who was working at Kotaku at the time, uh, has been on uh, Just King Things since that. Um, Kirk posted it uh, to Kotaku, and it also immediately crashed my website. Because I had hosted a game <laughs> on my own private website and things like that, so I've, I've, I, but I did not get any big overage charges, thankfully, because uh, my website, my host just sent me an email where they were like, "Yeah, you have signed up for infinite bandwidth, but infinite's not infinite." <laughs> I, I had the exact same conversation off. with my hosting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so we can, you know, we're not, um, we're not, of course, uh, Andrew Hussey, but we have been down this road. 
Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit, just a small enough. We were kind of at the the end of the edge of that because I think now when you would do this, and I think you've up, re-uploaded all your games right to itch.io. Um, uh, the ones that people actually play, yes. Okay. Um, but uh, And similarly, when I've made new work, I've put it up over there and just kind of linked it through my own channels or whatever. So I think we might be out of this era where... Um, and also, I think that web hosting and bandwidth are so cheap now compared mm-hmm. to even what they were two or three years ago that... It's not, you know, not an issue anymore. Um, but so, you know, just an interesting moment in time. The other thought that I had about this is that uh, if this existed today, like if if someone were making something as popular as Homestuck, mm-hmm. um, I feel like this would have showed up behind the Patreon wall first or, you know, yep. behind whatever crowdfunding or whatever uh, support wall that people have. Um, or it would be a limited time event. You know, I'm thinking here about Critical Role which seems to have a similar structure to Homestuck in the sense of like what that fan community looks like, uh, the kind of size and scale of it, that it's still very much a subcultural thing, but it has millions of people who are involved in it somehow. (laughs) Both Mm -hmm. of those things are true at the same time. And uh, the, um, but you know, they, they just did, I think what their season opener, you don't keep up with critical role. No, uh, no, I don't. Okay, I, I don't really either. I don't, not enough to speak. But they just had a major event that was either co-streamed or just only streamed in theater spaces. Oh, and so that you know, I feel like <laughs> I don't know. You couldn't do you couldn't do the opening of Act Four of Homestuck right in the theater <laughs> space, but but that kind of thing, right? The idea of cre- trying to create a limited time event to to artificially create this artificial scarcity that was created by technological affordances when this comes out in mm-hmm. 2010. Um, you know, other platforms are having to do that here in a different way. Yeah, one of the things that I've uh, been turning around in my mind as we've been doing this podcast for this project is that to some extent, Homestuck is like the swan song of the era of the personal website, right? Like the internet before platforms uh, where you, you know, would host things in this place and have them like embedded or what have you. Uh, There is so much stuff that... is integral to how Homestuck was working uh, that is tied up in the fact that Andrew Hussey had total control of and total responsibility for the operation and maintenance of the actual website. Yeah, that had to be a nightmare. (laughs) That had to be such a, like a stressor (laughs) for, uh, for, you know, I mean, I guess big returns, but but (laughs) that had to be such an absolute uh, just terrible thing. But yeah, absolutely. And even the fact that we're seeing this now, right? Like uh, Homestuck, you know, MS Paint Adventures is the victim of gross website negligence, Uh (laughs) you know, by Viz Media, which is why we're reading it in something that has been appified and productified, even though it's not monetized in that way. But, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a singular thing that has very many internal connections to it, but very few external connections that you do not have to leave in order to get the full experience of Homestuck, mm-hmm. which is antithetical to like the website logic mm-hmm. <laughs> where external connections is the, the huge part of it. So even the way that we're engaging with it now is, is way different than the logic under which it was developed. Mm-hmm. So in general, then uh, what do you think Cameron about like the lands. Let's talk about that since we got John's land and it shows up a little bit later. We also get Rose's land here. Uh, mm-hmm. w- what is like 
your feelings on this aside, you know, walk around aside. Uh, this is a new development. Like we've learned a new thing about this game and how it works. Uh, any thoughts or reactions on it? Well, you can really feel two different impulses pulling against one another, which is that mm-hmm. the lands both have a really strong, here's a story and I'm going to tell it. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what, I'm sure there are user commands in like the, for example, uh, rose sections, mm-hmm. but the majority of that feels like Hussey has a story that they are trying to get through and it is going to happen panel by panel and going to be laid out for you. Like the whole thing of like going out and discovering that there was a boat there at one point. Now the boat is gone. Mm-hmm. Like that has a strong authorial vibe to it. And especially the way those panels are drawn. I would say that the artistic, there's an artistic transformation in mm-hmm. act four. Yes. Like, lots more action oriented panels. Lots of things that are like shot reverse shots which are mm-hmm. just not something that exists in anything other than that. You know, it's the, um, I, I, I might have it here. Uh, I don't, I don't have it. Dang, I don't have a note for it, but it's the panel where um, John kind of crests a hill and there's all this light reflecting off of his body. Yes. Oh, I'm so glad you, you picked out that specific one. Yes. Um, yeah. Right. And then we have the reverse shot. Yeah of like all the the stuff you know these like basilisks and yes. this like troll or ogre or whatever the hell it is um you know all of those things uh, you know and that's just something that artistically is not showing up all that much in homestuck beforehand and there's a reason for that which is if you were creating images that exist in order to be easily manipulated you are not going to create a, ho- a huge amount of bespoke angles for example you know, the, mm-hmm. the isometric the the isometric kind of John's house angle or Rose's house or whatever, that's extremely convenient for manipulation, right? You have an angle that you can draw everything from that's really easily um, uh, figured out, right? A box looks like a box from that angle, easy to determine. Mm-hmm. And also you can manipulate those panels really quickly, cut things out of them, add things to them, move things around in them because they're all happening. It's the same reason the isometric video games were made. There, there's an asset reuse capability that is really high, a high level of that. Whereas if you were creating this like three quarter view from from the bottom of a hilltop, looking at John reflecting in you know highly animation, you know animated lights, you can't recycle that ever. Mm-hmm. That is a one shot bespoke thing. So if you are creating something that is highly responsive to audience commands and audience uh, manipulation. Um, you, you have to choose an art style that, that does that. And so I'm seeing already in just the art itself, those things being ripped apart from one another. So on one hand, there is this kind of, I would say, strong authorial control in both the narrative and the art that is pulling in a direction that is far away from, um, uh, you know, uh, inventory manipulation mm-hmm. <laughs> jokes. <laughs> on the other hand you have this long section with jade like yes up. let's use the jenga you know uh um uh, organization method uh, capture log uh Solidex mode or let's use the and like these things are at the breaking point and so it is not a shock to me that the end of what we read to, for today is the end of hussy um uh engaging with that because and i'm sure those types of jokes will still show up because i think people like those but they will not be as maybe this is a cold shot. Maybe this isn't true. But my feeling is that, um, you know, when I got to that point here of like 
the number of jade inventory jokes that go on in this section, I really felt the wheels spinning in a way that I had recognized before, but had not found uh, interruptive. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's the content of the first three acts. It's like there's just there are these big pieces. But here, once we get two different worlds that characters are living on, and then there's also Prospect and Purpo and all that shit going on, mm-hmm. I am I am so pissed off that I'm spending 30 pages Jay, where Jade experiments with, like, a capsulog system where you draw things, the mm-hmm. Pictionary system. Mm-hmm. Like, Jesus Christ, that drags so <laughs> much. It's so terrible. Um, and so you can, I can really feel those two things like, you know, pulling on each other and, um, and against each other in a way that does not feel productive for the comic in any way. It feels, it feels like, uh, a hangover from a time before. And I think we are ready to get by it. And obviously Hussey also is ready to get by it. <laughs> yeah. That was a thing that I sort of noted is, so we go from, uh, John's whole walk around straight into literally Hussey is letting the readership vote on which uh, fetch modus Jade is going to use, showing it off, and then letting them vote on what she's going to change it to next. And we just do this like three or four times in sequence. And at the time, yeah, I guess it, I, 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 people weren't complaining about it, right? There's not like people complaining about this in the forum thread. Uh, in fact, right, the, the, the response there is more like, oh, this is so much cool. This is, this is fun. Like, I want to see what the next modus is. Um, but in the archival reading, it feels, uh, you say wheel spinning. And to me, it almost just feels like to, to what degree are we just trying to burn ourselves out on this? <laughs> like, you know, give you so much ice cream that you don't want to eat anymore. <laughs> uh, it, it, it does feel like that. Like, absolutely. I, I get that vibe here of like, here, you want, you want goofy shit here. Here's your goofy shit. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, it feels like Hussey is buying time. Yeah. Uh, because these are really easy and quick to make, as we've talked about several times, as I was just talking about a second ago. While it it seems to me like drawing, like, what, Land of Light and Rain, is that it? Yeah. Uh, uh, drawing those panels seems like it takes a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I wonder to what extent Hussey is working forward and using these to buy time to draw some of those later panels that clearly have no no connection to reader command at all in their you know it's five or six in a row that are really kind of labor intensive it looks like yeah and the thing to then uh, touch on that you mentioned is like you know rose running around the uh, lolar um and uh doing various things and she gets the the text parser commands that show up like actually in the panel in the same way that you see text parser commands in john's walk around that turn out to be pm typing things to him in uh the future uh rose gets these commands they're much uh sort of shorter right the the, whoever's talking to her is much less talkative uh the script is not just regular text it's like flowing uh like calligraphy 
and uh, none of these are reader submitted. You will recall that when uh, John entered the medium, the suggestion box was broken, and that was the point where uh, WV was telling uh, him to do all of these various things, typing in all caps. Uh, and so that's why, for instance, when John is trying to talk to Rose, Rose isn't responding because she's receiving commands from someone else. And it's these commands, right, telling her to explore mm -hmm. her house and find, you know, where her mother went out on the dock and like took a boat away and left her martini behind and, and so on. Um, the fact that you pointed out that John's silhouette panel is so fantastic. It is uh, page 1434, uh, just for reference. Here is a hussy in the print commentary talking about this. Pretty cool teal silhouette of John there. Uh, then there's something here that uh, they say that I'm not going to talk about because we'll talk about it more later. Um, su suffice it to say, uh, the kind of aesthetic shifting that you're noticing here that we've moved out of like sprite based John into kind of bespoke John art. Uh, this takes on a particular name within the fan community. There's a way of talking about these characters when they're sprites versus when they're not. Um, but that's kind of going to be invented in a couple of months. Uh, by this point, Hussey continues, it got to be a little monotonous as well as uh, time consuming to always stay on model and adhere to the established art style. So I would start messing around and pushing the stylistic boundaries a little, especially when I felt like it could save time and create a striking look. Often I played with silhouettes, which had little or no line work to waste time on. I would just quickly block in a few key shapes with solid colors and then compensate for the oversimplicity by using some snappy color choices like those bright orange lighting effects effects, referring to John's glasses and kind of the highlights on his hair and his suit here. Uh, throw in a few simple details like the tie, the gloves, and a few basic trees uh, in the background there, and you've got yourself a panel. This probably took me 10 or 15 minutes. Finding ways to save time with a performance story like this is everything. Mm -hmm. It goes, I think, to your your particular uh, canniness with reading images that you managed to like pull out this panel that Hussey then has precisely some helpful commentary for yeah it's really interesting too that that this is the kind of you know i i wonder about this you know when we get the uh i think it's in the rose flash that's here uh the one that introduces the the land mm -hmm. yeah there's some very similar images of like rose from like a uh uh like a, a view from from the ground kind of like her oh, silhouetted mm -hmm. against the sky where she's got like arms. It's very similar to this where it's really interesting that, you know, Hussey is like, this is quick garbage. Right. But I, <laughs> I think undercutting how this is like such a dramatic shift in the way that the, <laughs> that the comic works. It is. <laughs> It is uh, uh, such a thing to think about that there this is not the I don't think this is the last time this is going to happen in this episode, um, like this specific part where you and I are talking uh, this recording mm -hmm. session where there are there are going to be things here that we can talk about where Hussey will basically talk uh, about like how how uh how demanding and uh, how demanding the, the process of creation for this is and how many cylinders you need to be firing on. And here's all this stuff that I've done that I think is really cool. Like, look how quick I'm doing all this stuff. Uh, and then also 
will do these things where like shifting the art style in this panel and then be like, yeah, this is crap. But you and I are going to focus in on it and be like, oh, this is actually this is the thing that we're going to have like the big aesthetic reaction to of like this is the really cool visual shift that's happening here. Not all of this other stuff where uh, Hussey talks about like how their their strategies for writing character voices, for instance, um, which I can bring up later uh, if we have time in this in this part, yeah, which are which are not nearly as interesting. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna be frank about that, right? Like, I think the characters here are, and maybe this changes, and I think that there there probably is some reason for the reason. There's some reason that uh, Homestuck fans are so attached to these characters, but even in their most three dimensional in the in the the comic so far, they're still two dimensional. Right. Like, yeah, they're not <laughs> they're not well drawn, you know, in the in the literary sense. But whereas like aesthetically, visually, aesthetically, so much is going on here. So if you look at so uh, 1434 is the John panel. If you go to 1433, you can see Rose. It's a direct uh, eyeline match for what they're looking at off screen. Mm-hmm. So they are both matched to a third object that is not in either of their spaces, right? You know, it's mm-hmm. like some imaginary third thing, but they're both eyeline matched to it across two different times and spaces and visual styles. Like, that, that, that is, uh, like, important <laughs> visually. Yeah. No, I was just going to explain, right, If uh, for the listener, if you had these two panels as uh, pages in a book, and sort of funnily enough, um, these get put uh, in the print book in a way that is not at all how I'm just going to describe them here. If they were, you know, Rose on left page, John on right page, their eye lines would converge at the center, at the crease of the binding of the book, right? Like, yes. that is that is yeah. how uh, well these things have been designed, <laughs> Like how much? Yeah, thought. I have no idea. Like, well, that's the thing. Is there thought in that, or is this just yeah. two two panels? <laughs> <laughs> like, who knows? Um, yeah, there's something else going on too. Also, here that is interesting visually, where the uh, the rose um, flash that introduces uh, what God land of sun and rain, light Lotor. and rain. Lotor, yeah. Lolor. Is that what you're calling it? Lolar. Lolor? Lolar. Lowas and Lolar. Okay, Lolar. I gotta write it down. I don't know why I can't I can't do that. Uh the uh so like what's so fascinating to me about land of wind, spears, and hills. (laughs) Yeah, I mean it's that level of my inability (laughs) to to get there. Is there is so much kind of direct this is 1407 if people want to look at it but there's so much um directorial weirdness involved in it we spend so long zipping across a endless ocean Mm -hmm. of nothing Mm -hmm. like so long it's probably 20 seconds or more and it's like a bunch of like places where things are being rained on in just ocean and it's so much of it. And I don't know. And, and you know, this is up against exactly what, what you were talking about, which is like each one of these frames costs data. You know, mm-hmm. they, they have it has a data cost to putting it on this website. Every single one of them. 
And yet there are so many frames <laughs> that are for, you know, they, they don't feel like they have any kind of durational component to them. It doesn't feel like we're supposed to be really getting too much scale that we wouldn't get in any other way here, which is like, you know, horizon line shots or something like that. So there are these really weird things where I feel like Hussey has such a strong command of the image, but not a strong command of editing. Mm-hmm. Um, which is really interesting because I think I said something almost exactly opposite to that when we were talking about the uh, Dave and Bro fight, where mm-hmm. that is the, the the economy of editing. They're a genius, I think, especially the going down the stairs and all of that <laughs> stuff. I think that's like amazing. But there's something to do w- with the way that Hussey sees action that is different from the way that Hussey sees space. Mm. And I think that there's an incommensurate uh, relationship there, and it's really apparent in these kind of... I don't know, broader space, space-based space flashes mm-hmm. um, that, that I'm going to be paying attention to. But um, uh, I, something that really stuck out to me there. I think uh, that is an insightful observation. Oh, eventually we are going to get to points in uh, this story where flashes happen and there is going to be such divergent understandings of what even happened in those flashes uh mm-hmm. that i think speaks to exactly what you're getting at that there's like i mean frankly i think really what what this comes down to is that this is a story being put together on the fly kind of uh by someone who is just you know trying trying to get the content together and get it up uh so there mm-hmm. is kind of a, an inconsistency in terms of how well the editing gets deployed in various individual flashes. And then there's also kind of, I think the challenge of um, here, right in the introduction of Lolar, I would say uh, it almost to me feels like uh, Hussey is letting the song uh, drive this a little too much. So this is, this is mm-hmm. something that I think by this point, by, by, by this point, the, the form spring goes up. And Hussey mentions there explicitly that uh, how they how their process works here is they kind of like pick the song and then they sort of envision how action moves according to the song that they're going to make the flash to. Um, Mm -hmm. And here it does just kind of seem like Hussey got this song. The song had this much time where this type of uh, sort of musical action was happening and did not have a whole lot of other like spatial or like action, uh, you know, characters taking action type of information to fill in some of that. Right. So mm-hmm. that that's sort of my sense of it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's right that, you know, we've talked about that before about the way what drives those flashes. So mm-hmm. uh, do we want to talk about how the entire plot of Homestuck is laid out in a chat with a troll? Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's talk about that. Um, a troll who speaks in elite. Yeah, that's what everyone wants, by the way. <laughs> Everyone loves Leet speak. Do people still do that? I don't know. I was just thinking about that. It's sort of fascinating, like how entire like. So first of all, right uh, at this point, I remember when Gallows Calibrator shows up, I almost used this character's name. <laughs> uh, uh, but when GC shows up, it's I remember. Gonna be, when, OK, can, can, can I make a call? OK, here about yeah, let's what, call. The I shot. don't know this name. <clears throat> all right. Can you give me a let's let's have a uh, clarifying question. Okay. Do they have first and last names? Oh, yes. Yes. The trolls have first and last names. Okay. My call. Ooh, that's right. Are they like the 
wandering vagabond? No. Uh, Do they have that? No, kind no, of, no. Is no. it they, like adjective name? No, no. They have like person names. They have names. Oh, like uh, John like, Egbert. Yes, yes. Squirt Einstein. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, you didn't match the right pattern. Oh, there's a pattern to it? Oh, oh, you haven't noticed that there's a pattern to the kids' names? You well, haven't no, noticed uh, this? For the, <laughs> well, for the usernames, but I didn't know if that would... that would. I don't know what the pattern would be for their actual name. Well... Is it... Uh, uh, we'll find out, I guess. No, I, I mean, this is, this is a thing that the fans have already figured out, so we can talk oh about it, God, Cameron. They've already figured it out? I... When you have an infinite amount of time to, like, think about some text in front of you, right? <laughs> I, guess that's true. I guess that's true. So, like, here's the first thing to notice. Uh, All right. There are four kids. Each of the kids has a name, a first name, that has four letters. Okay? John, Rose, Dave, Jade. Okay, got it. Mm-hmm. They also each have a surname. Uh, some of them, but these vary, right? There's Egbert, Lalonde, Strider, and Harley. Mm -hmm. So some of them have a surname that is, uh, seven letters, and some of them have a surname that is six letters. Uh, uh -huh. okay. <laughs> this, uh, we're, it feels like you're about to do numerology on me. It feels like <laughs> you're about to tell me that I need to invest in penny stocks, <laughs> you know, that come up on some particular day. Uh, you know, under some particular combination of letter words. And you're going to be like, the letter S equates to 19. And <laughs> <laughs> so, but I will accept this. Keep going. I mean, I'm going to be honest here, man. Uh, this is kind of how it works. So uh, right. what is, what is uh, six plus seven, Cameron? Jesus Christ. Uh, 13. So four letters and then uh 13 i feel letters. like i'm getting i feel like i'm getting angry 413 413 april 13th which is the day that homestuck started you can't see what i'm looking like right now <laughs> but i hope you can feel it mm -hmm. uh-huh okay great yep. so they're looking at what uh, uh, so is the name of each one based on, I don't know, the day that they show up originally? Uh, yes. Yep. Of course. Of course. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, uh, there, there's even more stuff like this, Cameron. There is so sure. much more stuff like this that again, like fans have figured out basically by just looking very carefully at information that is in no way sort of being foregrounded or uh, mm -hmm. uh, sort of called attention, right? There's no attention being called to it by the narrative. Um, so yeah, the, the, all over. Um, and we'll, we'll pick it all up uh, as it's kind of necessary and we'll ignore great deals of it, I think, as it is unnecessary. But yeah. You know, so. we've, we've talked a lot about things like Lost, um, but we haven't really talked a lot about ARGs specifically, uh -huh. mm -hmm. and this is just an ARG at this point. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I two thousand. This would be right after. This would be right after the year zero ARG finished up. Is that true? Uh, somewhere right in there. That would have been two thousand seven, two thousand six, two thousand seven. Yeah, sometime around then. Yeah, so that would make sense. And like, I mean, it's definitely after I I Heart Bees, which is the yeah, oh yeah, the thing that makes the ARG a thing. Yeah, this is kind of in the waning days of the ARG. So I wonder in the Cloverfield one, obviously, too. Uh, and so I wonder, too, if like some of that 
the people who are really engaged by that kind of thing go over to Homestuck too, because it, like, like everything that you're saying there is tripping all those exact same breakers, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, I, I have a funny story about the uh, the Year Zero ARG that I'll bury in the middle of this episode so people can really enjoy it. So, the Year Zero, which was Nine Inch Nails like concept album that was about like the near future, and it was mm-hmm. kind of like a conspiracy theory thing. Um, you know, like there's drugs in the water to keep people happy and all this kind of stuff. And it was told <laughs> over, uh, you know, the album and a bunch of like fake blogs and forum posts and like dead drop information, uh, you know, so like, um, you know, going to a certain place and finding a USB key, you know, in the middle mm-hmm. of downtown LA and then like doing something with that. It all culminated in people literally being shoved into vans and like quote unquote kidnapped by like authoritarian <laughs> police and then uh, uh, released in a warehouse where the Nine Inch Nails played a show. <laughs> so like, it, like yeah, it's, it's like a pretty interesting thing. I was way into it. Like I was very, very into it. And it, it kind of had this thing where it felt like it was going to keep going and just kind of petered out like mm-hmm. all ARGs do. Uh, but uh, it, it was like all this near future thing. And I had a class, like a civics class, where I was like supposed to be writing like five news articles or like news summaries a week. Mm-hmm. And I might have shared this on a show somewhere at some point. But I uh, wrote all of my news articles, like my news summaries, just about the far future news blogs I was reading <laughs> for the Year Zero <laughs> ARG. And my uh, high school teacher did not find that funny in any capacity or interesting or creative or rewardable. And I got straight up zeros for all of them. <laughs> and I did it for a long time, too. And uh, that was uh, that that did not pay off for me in the end, I will say. But uh, that's the kind of person I was in high school. Great. So how I missed Homestuck, who could know? Right? Exactly. Like, uh, how did that happen? If only if only the music were less chiptune and more Nine Inch Nails. I, felt I feel that way right now. If, <laughs> o- if only the music of Homestuck were less chiptune and more Nine Inch Nails, I would enjoy this way more. I'm enjoying it perfectly fine now, but I would enjoy it way more. Um, because, and I'll say this about the music. I think the music's fine. Like, I think mm-hmm. it's okay, but I feel the exact same way I feel about, like, uh, Toby Fox, right? And when people are like, Megalovania is one of the best music tracks I've ever heard. And I listen to Megalovania, I'm like, yeah, this is music. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I, I'm like that, that Gabe Gundacker thing where I'm like, <laughs> yeah, this is, this is, these are tunes. Like, I like this. This is music. This is fine. Mm-hmm. Cool. Like, you know what I mean? But I don't have any, like, it doesn't give me strong emotions in any kind of way, mm-hmm. one way or the other. Uh, none of these do either. They're just like nice music to listen to while something else mm-hmm. happens. Kind of like how I feel about most video game music. This is nice music to listen to while something else is happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really interesting thing to to think about, too, right? That this is 2009, 2010, like chiptunes are not a new thing, but I feel like this is the point where like chiptunes became a thing. Like there was a, uh, you know, I, I've been on the Internet forever, as we've established. Uh, so I remember the days of, you know, OC Remix and like finding all of my Final Fantasy, uh, you know, uh, uh, Liberi Fatali uh, remixes there and, and so on. Um, mm hmm. But uh, there was and then I remember like chiptunes kind of becoming like starting to happen. And it was very much in that same sort of space. It was kind of like uh, not outre, but, uh, you know, over there, like only nerds would really care about using Game Boys to to make music. Um, 
And I remember very distinctly at about this point when I was in college, uh, this is <laughs> hysterical. This is also, I remember because I was in London, uh, dubstep was really taking off. Um, so there was like the shift. Yeah, this was that moment. Yeah. Yes. Right. This is when I became a country boy who loves dubstep. Um, oh, cause this is like the moment of Skrillex, like right before uh-huh. this, I guess a couple years before this is, uh, is like when, when Skrillex becomes like a thing. Gosh, yeah. what a time. What a time to be alive. Yeah, no, I like I arrive in London and like my cool friend who always knows more about music than me, who's on the the trip with me. Uh, she's like, you know, she's like, well, I've gone to some shows already. There's this thing called dubstep that's happening. That's really interesting. That's like this is literally how I got introduced to dubstep. Uh, but anyway, um, there is like this, you know, this this uh, sea change, I think, in kind of electronic music uh, where, you know, I start like it becomes more of like a. Uh, uh, hipsters to bring up our old bugbear uh mm-hmm. hipsters really love the chiptune music and love to get too many synths and and so on and so forth uh so they're you know what's interesting about homestuck music i guess in historical context is that you have this kind of population that comes from the nerd demographic right this song really reminds me of secret of mana or whatever uh and it's also like this is happening at a moment when this music is also sort of uh becoming its own thing like still related to video games but really stands separately from them right it's like an aesthetic development of an aspect of games as a form uh and homestuck like just barrels right into that whole thing there are so many homestuck albums and it's it's this type of music not all of it right there there's a, there's a mm-hmm. diversity of styles on the homestuck albums um and we'll talk about some of them i guess uh, as we continue on uh but homestuck's first three albums the ones that are up mm-hmm. out up until this point like they're they're chiptune albums that's what they are maybe we'll listen to some homestuck albums on our bonus content Ooh. that we'll talk about at the end of this episode. Mm-hmm. So this uh, completely derailed us because we were trying to talk about this troll who gave us the entire plot. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the um, yeah, so this troll just like is like, hey, this is what's up. Uh, the, this game, we already kind of knew this, right? That that the that spurb or whatever the game is in a broad sense it could be like one meta layer out from that we don't Mm -hmm. really know at this point but it it has existed forever because right we we saw out in space at one point Mm -hmm. (laughs) like before like way back in time Mm -hmm. you know we saw that uh this thing was like coughing up meteors and whatnot um you know that portal or whatever it is so uh the the game exists in this like whatever um uh universe it is constantly destroying planets mm-hmm. and resurrecting planets mm-hmm. or uh, it's destroying planets and creating the conditions for those planets to become like reinvigorated to be destroyed again mm-hmm. in some sort of cycle it seems like it does that by pulling people by taking people from these other like alternate dimension worlds like Prospect and Purpo, mm-hmm. casting them out from those worlds, mm-hmm. putting them on the post-apocalyptic planets, and then those critters. So that's like the wandering pigment. <laughs> yeah, it's the called. wandering pigment. Sure. The wandering pigment. Uh, the uh, you know the 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 mailbag bandit. Um, the uh, the uh, murder bot, all of those, mm-hmm. 
those things get together in some way and like form a new world to then, you know, close it up. And then there are all these like weird paradoxes in the middle of people playing the games and doing things that ha- that are impacted by people forward in time and back in time or whatever. It creates all these like weird paradoxes and those end up being closed loops due to all these different actors interacting with with each other through these um uh hatches mm-hmm. uh you know these these like little um uh prompt based things that we keep seeing people use mm-hmm. and i'm sure there's like more complexity to it but that's kind of it right mm-hmm. like there's a there's a bunch of time loops or a bu- yeah a bunch of time loops they're all hooked together within one big cycle loop that is the game destroying and bringing planets back to life yes that's just it mm-hmm. right that's it Okay. You got it. <laughs> well, like I, you, you got it pretty quick because there's there's a whole lot of discussion in the threads of people trying to like parse this out. Well, the troll tells you really, really clearly. Mm-hmm. Like it's not it doesn't seem to me to be I mean, I guess I could see how you could um make this and especially because of this crowd, right? They want to make it maybe more than it is. Mm-hmm. Because that does seem to be a bit of a letdown based on what we've seen. Mm-hmm. Which is which is like I think that if you are the most excited kind of reader, you might want this to be like all linearizable. Mm -hmm. But Hussey has a great escape hatch, which is just, yeah, there's a bunch of paradoxes of like, (laughs) oh, what what are they called? Um, Creator paradoxes or something like that. I I forget. You know, science fiction and science fiction studies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where Where you go back in time and become your own grandfather or whatever. Yeah, you end up creating the conditions that make your own emergence. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. the, the it's Terminator, you know, uh, that that Kyle Reese only goes back in time because he is sent forward or, you know, because he's sent back in time by um, John Terminator. What's that guy's name? <laughs> John Connor. <laughs> John Connor. It would be yeah, very funny <laughs> like, to show how much he wanted to defeat Skynet. He took the name John Terminator. <laughs> he's like, I got to save you from a Terminator. And also a Terminator sent me back in time. But not that Terminator. Mm-hmm. John Terminator. No. But yeah, like uh, uh, John Connor creates, you know, trains Kyle Reese and sends him back in time in order for Kyle Reese to become his father to create him. Right. Really simple, paradoxical kind of uh uh, create yeah you know fatherhood paradox a creator paradox whatever and the entirety of homestuck it seems like so far as far as like the manipulations of what the the kids are doing and then this other group of of post-apocalypse characters that's a weird way of saying that post-apocalypse mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't know how i got there <laughs> but they are all just in a series of stacked uh creator paradoxes mm-hmm. Um, and I think that probably if you're a really invested reader, that, that might be a little bit of a bummer. You might want that not to be the case because that's really kind of simple. And I can imagine you wanting this all to be laid out in linear time in a way that's really exciting. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like how does all this fit together? Well, it's not just that this is a big time loop. It's that in fact, all these other things, complications happen in the middle to not make it time loopy. Mm -hmm. Um, and so just kind of facing up to it maybe is a little bit of a bummer, but we just read the intermission where the whole thing is just a bunch of time loops mm-hmm. with some like end points and beginning points. But ultimately, it's just a bunch of nested time loops that are where the machinery doesn't matter because it's only the outputs that matter. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's going to be the case for Homestuck proper, that really all this in the middle part doesn't matter all that much. <laughs> and only the outputs and the beginning and end points really matter in the end of it. 
but we'll find out. We will. Uh, it's great that you bring up the intermission because this is the other thing to, to keep in mind when we're thinking about, uh, well, when we think we know everything that is happening here, because this is the other thing that readers are bringing up. Uh, we have now seen two post-apocalyptic, you know, post-spur worlds, and they are very different. Uh, on Earth, there is no sign of anything like the felt. Uh, yeah. or, you know, like the, the WV and, and PM and AR, like they're, they're literally just still hanging out in the desert. So they have not like built this town, quote unquote, in the way that, uh, Spade Slick did back in, uh, the intermission. Yeah. And that raises some questions, right? About like, what is sort of, and this is how this is going to be articulated, uh, by a lot of readers from this point forward. How is the game supposed to work? Right. What is what is the intended functionality of this game uh, versus like what are some is there something going wrong here? Uh, and mm. and we may, you know, think back again on the intermission and realize that there was a character who was introduced and also never seen. What which one? Uh, Lord English. Oh, yes. <laughs> you know what I was thinking about? What, what, sandwiches or whatever his name was? Yeah, sandwich and crackers. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Our felt OCs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, no, no. The uh, number 11. I forget what he is. Oh, uh, Matchstick. Matches, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I immediately yeah. was like, oh, my God, is Matchstick going <laughs> to show up? But no, yeah, Lord English, you're right. Who is, we know, is kind of like this stitching quite literally you know uh his his code of many colors uh-huh. <laughs> uh, the whole world is is contained or the whole time set of timelines is contained of it mm-hmm. and there are all these different panels that were on it that would one would assume are different timelines or something like that yeah um that that you know that's what i would assume that's really funny that all that is being kind of stapled together by the community because my assumption like in my head i thought oh, okay spade slick is in the far past He's like a previous cycle. This is just like me imagining things, mm-hmm. right? Spade Slick is from some sort of previous cycle. Spade Slick is the person who's built this place, but in the far past. You know, and then uh, the felt, you know, whatever that is, that eventually turns into the earth or something like mm-hmm. that. But that probably isn't the case because at this point, my assumption, I guess, after post-intermission is that WV is Spade Slick mm. or some or some relationship to it, right? Mm-hmm. We saw it, some pseudo WV, but WV's got two arms. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Interesting stuff. I can definitely imagine, uh, you know, if I um, really wanted to get down to it, I could start drawing some timelines out, but I'm not going to do that. Because the because the comic will tell me <laughs> yes, <laughs> uh, uh, just to, to to think a little bit more then right to go back to the intermission here is a thing that Spade Slick tells us this is when he takes uh, Dai's voodoo doll. Um, this might come in handy down the road. Lord English is supposedly indestructible. He's rumored to be killable only through a number of glitches and exploits in space time. The doll may ultimately help you work the system if it comes to that. Hmm. And uh, are you do you pick up the the billiards pun in the name English? No. Oh, well, I put a little English. Yes. On it. Right. Giving it. Yeah. yeah okay. Hitting hitting the ball with a little bit of spin. Um, mm-hmm. Does the phrase Lord English evoke anything else to you? <sighs> Something maybe video gamey rather than analog gamey. 
Oh, uh, uh, yeah, uh, Richard Garriott. Yeah, yeah. Tell tell us about that. Lord, Lord what, he's Lord British? Uh-huh. Is that the case? Yeah, so Richard Garriott, game developer, worked on, made, invented, developed uh, the Ultima games, started when he was in high school, and then continued on from there. It became kind of like a, a, a I don't know, a early example of the kind of like star figure in video games, you know, a star developer. Mm-hmm. People might not, uh, you know, just get real, real quick uh, video game history lesson. Um, so, you know, video games begin as a very corporate product in their commercial form. Um, so, you you know, think about Atari, think about things like that. And there are very, uh, in their commercial form, video games are really um, uh, notable for pushing um, brand identity over developer identity. Mm-hmm. So, you know, very famously Activision as a um, game development company emerges out of people who were designers and developers in at Atari who wanted more credit and ultimately more profit really for their work. Mm-hmm. And so, and they, and they start doing things to say, this is an Activision game and it's made by blah, you know, they want credit for that. Uh, you know, quote unquote, the first Easter egg, which we now know is not actually the first Easter egg in a video game that happens in adventure. That is someone putting their own name into the thing. And so as we get, you know, that's in the 1970s. And as we get up through the eighties, um, it becomes this kind of maneuver for, um, while a lot of video games are still kind of just an anonymous corporate product, um, you know, they have credits associated with them, but that is not first and foremost in say, um, Nintendo's um uh you know letting you know who is making uh uh you know ice climbers mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. like that's right. not part of the promo but there are unique individuals that do get pushed in front of that so Miyamoto in the case of um Mario in the Legend of Zelda for example and then in the United States that that gets pushed a little bit here too so Richard Garriott is one of those people uh, you can think about people like John Carmack or uh, John Romero in the night in the early 90s that kind of thing so Richard Garriott becomes kind of a famous and known face of a particular kind of game a particular design philosophy when he makes I think Ultima 4 he creates this very hussy like elaborate um system of metaphysics and morals mm-hmm. That like the game operates by that is in some ways programmatic, but in other ways is just like a way you're supposed to think of yourself while playing the game. He's like in, I think in his early twenties or maybe his late teens when he does this. And uh, Richard Garriott is creating literally from nothing, a like foundational system of morals that is antithetical to, you know, say Christianity or Buddhism or something like that. It's like the man is inventing his own religion. Mm -hmm. It, the hubris involved here is, is astonishing. <laughs> and um, so, but part of that is the self-insert character called Lord British, who is like the face of Richard Garriott in this world, who has like some of these philosophies. And it becomes a thing in Ultima games to try to kill Lord British. And how do you do that? And it's like really impossible and difficult. And so uh, people develop whole strategies, shared strategies for doing that. And eventually when Ultima becomes an online MMO, it becomes like a big thing to like, how do we kill Lord British? So that all turns around to say lots of what I just talked about is something that's showing up here in Lord English that you're talking about. Is that what you wanted me to say? Mike? Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is this is a thing that people lock on to immediately. Uh, uh, very famously, Lord British was assassinated during the mm-hmm. beta test for Ultima Online uh, due to a yep. glitch. Um, 
his invulner his invulnerability flag got tripped uh, and Garriott didn't reset it. So he walks into the, it was like a stress test for the server. So a whole bunch of people had shown up to see, you know, the royal procession of Lord British and some guy just casts uh, a fire spell that obliterates <laughs> uh, Lord British. <laughs> that's really yeah. good. I, and I know that people have killed him in other ways as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, that's a big notable yeah. way to do it. So yeah, this is uh, this is a, a thing that people are like noticing the resonances of. And it is also a, a series of resonances that Andrew Hussey is going to say are accidental. Uh, like mm-hmm. they, they, I do not think uh, knew much about Ultima. I don't think they were an Ultima player. Uh, but like the, the the consonants here right just is just too rich to ignore it's like all right yeah interesting um so th- that's a i, I want to bring that up because this is what people are are starting to think they're like okay uh we have this other kind of unknown thing out there uh that seems in some way perhaps related to you know this structure of a game built on time loops uh and now we have uh some force right that commands a whole team of time looping idiots and can only be killed through glitches in space time. Mm-hmm. So just to, you know, put a, put a like little bookmark on that. Uh, what do you think about these actual, these chat logs with GC and uh, CG? Uh, because I, there are some really great lines in here, in my opinion, that also become like sort of uh, echoed memes within the fandom. Uh, in particular, uh, CG, like going back to the uh, carcinogeneticist, that conversation mm-hmm. with John where CG is shows up and it's like, hey, I, I'm talking to you again from the future, but a different part of the future where we're all friends. Uh, and they have this like long back and forth where John doesn't believe, uh, CG, but CG keeps insisting and they like, you know, the trolls need the kids help, blah, 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 blah. And then ending with, um, uh, like the, the human disease of friendship or something. Mm, Yeah, I, um, I, you know, I feel like, I think that the chats are an opportunity for Hussey to do two things. One of which is info dump, mm-hmm. and the other is um, hint. Mm-hmm. I don't think that this comic is very interesting in either of those modes. Mm-hmm. When it's like actively like breadcrumbing, as opposed to just telling the story, mm-hmm. and in fact, is taking time out of telling the story to breadcrumb. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's particularly interesting, and I don't think the info dump is is you know like it's just having someone. It might as well just be a news post mm-hmm. right like and, and maybe we should have should have been uh, so i didn't have to read it in lead speed <laughs> um so i mean i think they're okay i think maybe some of your delight here um is informed by the fact that these characters obviously are going to keep showing up and they have like other qualities and maybe i will look back on these with more fondness mm-hmm. but in linear time someone being like hey you know hey i'm telling you stuff that's gonna matter way later maybe mm-hmm. i don't know um, that it's not, I, it's hard for me to appreciate the actual maneuvers happening here in character writing mm-hmm. when so much of it is dedicated to those two other things. Um, I, you know, I will say the chat log I like the most in this entire thing is when, with Nana Sprite. <laughs> <laughs> like, I love that part where John asks her a question and it's like, please don't say who, who, who. And <laughs> yes. <laughs> Who, who, who? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's exactly, it's on 1429. That's exactly what I was going <laughs> to reference. Um, you know, uh, yeah, that, that, 
that Nana is, and also somewhere here where uh, John asks, like, Nana, were you this much of a scamp when you were alive? Or is this like a Harlequin thing? And she's like, I don't know. Well, she says, wouldn't you like to know? (laughs) It's like, were you always this coy and mysterious? (laughs) Yes. I I like that kind of, I don't know. I just feel like, I I, I feel like with the trolls uh, or, you know, yeah, I guess they're the trolls. The, um, you only get character writing one third of the time. Mm-hmm. And I can't appreciate that really, uh, you know, the trees for the forest at this mm-hmm. point. Maybe that'll change. So uh, y- you are correct in that. Obviously, like I have the full run of this thing ahead of me and I know exactly like I, I know all of the beautiful things that await us. Um, but uh, in reading, in reading this live, uh, this is where things kind of get sort of interesting. On the one hand, I am frustrated by like, how many like the trolls keep getting introduced because I don't know where this is going. Remember, I have not quite put together all the stuff we talked about with like, uh, uh, you know, what's happening with like this prior session of the game. I haven't quite put that together. I'm not reading the forum still. I'm not reading news posts. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm getting sort of frustrated by the number of characters like the, the, they're just keep there are more and more characters in this story. Right. And that is frustrating mm-hmm. to me. However, like the specific characters themselves are interesting enough. And especially uh, I mentioned when when the trolls first showed up in Act Three, that it reminded me of um, the Hyroduels in Book of the New Sun. And like yeah. this conversation with CG, uh, I, I loved because it is like those conversations in uh, Book of the New Sun where Severian meets the Hyroduels and they keep talking about things that haven't happened yet and Severian has no way of understanding them but like it's like what if that but if also the Hyroduels were constantly insulting Severian <laughs> I think the other thing that really helps is that if you're reading this live like you know that the plot is going to happen at whatever daily pace the plot is going to happen and so I can really enjoy things like uh you know, CG saying, uh, you know, John asks a question. CG says, oh, God, not again. No, fuck no. I am just not going to explain this to you again. You'll get plenty of dirt on all this from me in the future conversation in future conversations, tedious conversations, ones I've already had with you where your demeanor will, will gradually become inexplicably and then revoltingly friendly towards us. And so I guess it was just kind of infectious. And now we're all buddies, I think. It's really weird. This human emotion you call friendship. And bu- John just responds, Friendship isn't an emotion, fuck nuts. And Sichi responds, see, this is what I'm talking about. You're a much more tolerable guy than I thought at first. So, like, that's good. Hmm. I will say people uh, are complaining about the leet speak in, in the thread. Um, quite predictably, uh, there are people who are, like, translating it out of leet speak so they can read it more easily. Uh Really funny. No, no issues reading late speak. I like immediately went into it and I could read it like I was mm-hmm. reading English. <laughs> like it was not not even a problem. Oh, gosh. I just realized like it, there's a possibility that if you're listening, you don't know what leet speak is. You you may not be a Homestuck reader and you may not be a person who was online in the early 2000s. Uh, leet speak yeah. is just uh, it, it was like how uh, hackers were, were supposed to talk <laughs> to each other. Um it was a thing you saw a lot in like multiplayer games like Counter-Strike or, or things of that nature. And all it is, uh, for the most part, is replacing certain uh, vowels in the words that you are typing with uh, numbers. 
Yeah, like so, like leet one three three seven, mm-hmm. and leet itself right. uh, derives from the idea of being elite, right? To say you are a elite hacker is to be an elite hacker. So, uh, uh, GC does not entirely adopt the uh, she she's not leet like Jeff K to point out some old something awful stuff. This is actually, I think, how it. No, oh my god, oh my god, how did you learn about leet speak, Cameron? I don't know. It was just like in the water. Um, I, I had a friend in middle school. Yeah, like the sixth grade. I mean, he was my, my friend throughout the rest of like middle school and high school, but um, who I met, I think, in middle school and uh, who was like very into like minor hacking communities. Mm-hmm. So he was someone who was like, into, he's the person I learned the term social engineering from. Mm. Uh, he's a person who bought a Dremel tool and a like $20 set of files and made his own set of lock picks because like, you know, like hacking was like all of those things, uh-huh. right? Like he was one of those people who was like, Oh, I am like into hacking and I'm into all of the things that, that are in hack. It's very much, you know, in the way that like, in, you know, I don't know how much people know about this kind of thing, but like in the same way that there's like the four elements of hip hop, mm-hmm. right? That, that are like, you know, from the, the 70s and or late 70s, early 80s. Um, there's like these domains of hacking, right? And one of them's like computational mm-hmm. stuff, right? But the other is like um, doing things and getting through things with human beings, mm-hmm. right? So like if you watch the movie Heist, it's like a, a, a lesson in how to do that kind of thing. Um, and then there's like breaking into things physically. How do you open, how do you open like a padlock? Um, how do you get out of handcuffs? That kind of Mm -hmm. thing. Um, and I'm sure there's other stuff too, but so I just kind of learned all of those things from him. He's like the person who introduced me to like how you pirate music, like all that kind of stuff. Um, like, like before that was, you know, widespread, um, in a way. So, um, yeah, I you know, I would say it all just kind of came from that. And he would like exclusively type in lead speed. Oh, my God. And so I just had to like, yeah, that was like his thing for a long time. And so I just kind of learned it from there. And I never really did it myself. Um, you know, I so I can't like write in lead speak, but he could write in lead speak as well as he could type in in English, probably. Mm-hmm. Or maybe just a little bit slower. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Uh. So that's how I found out okay. about it. I mean, makes a lot of sense. Uh, and the reason I sort of asked and sort of wanted to go on this detour partly is because uh, the, the point to be made is that uh, I remember even thinking at the time, I was like, oh, Leet's, this is interesting to have this troll speaking Leet um, because Leet was kind of on its way out, right? That hacker culture was not really dying, uh, I guess, but sort of like the things were changing. Uh, like, Well, that yeah, that became like a meme. Mm-hmm. And then it became like a meme to make fun of people who like thought they were hackers. Right. Uh, right. V- very channy, I would say. Yeah. So uh, you you gave this answer. So now I must give this answer because I've already on air like had the pieces locked together in my mind. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is again one of those moments that's like so important for for all how how we got here, right? Uh, how we got to me talking into this microphone right now. Um. I learned about Leet Speak from the first webcomic that I ever read, which was Mega Tokyo. <laughs> 
Oh, it's just still redeemed today. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it is. Let's let me. I'm going to do this live on air. <laughs> but yes, so, yeah, it's still going. I think. Yeah, right? yeah. No, it. it I, I check on it occasionally um, just to see what's happening. Um, but yeah, Mega Tokyo was the first web comic I read, uh, and I think was actually a good vector for like making Leet speak well known enough for people to make fun of you about it. Uh, Mega Tokyo, if you can't tell by the name, is uh, an anime and manga inspired webcomic. Uh, and so in, when I'm like 12 or 13 or whatever, and I'm hearing, you hear they got comics online these days and they're inspired by Japanese anime. Uh, that's where I am. That's how I find out about Leet. Uh, but then weirdly enough by, uh, sort of like looking up Leet, because the other thing is that Mega Tokyo does not explain to you what Leet is at all. Um, it's, you know, very much of like sort of the nerd culture of the time, uh, it, and expects the people who are reading it to already know this stuff. And like one of the characters is sort of like a computer guy. And so that's why he speaks Leet, right? The, the, the joke is that he can speak Leet in the real world. Um, so I was like, what the hell is this? I remember like looking into it and by trying to find out, uh, what the hell Leet was, uh, this was how I discovered a uh, little proto-internet meme, Leet like Jeff K, which was a hacker character. This is how I get into something awful. Like, that's how I found out about it, was like trying to figure out what Leet was, finding some uh, Jeff K articles that Lotax had written, and then that's how I found the Something Awful forums, which I am reading as I'm trying to figure out Homestuck now. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Talk about causality loops. The uh, by the way, Mega Tokyo most recently posted 9 15 2021, so still active. Mm -hmm. Great, I don't know who any of these characters are. This one has foxtails, got a lot of them mm -hmm. too. Let's not get too far. Into okay, that. <laughs> that's a different podcast. Um, no, no it isn't, <laughs> not on this network, <laughs> says know, Cameron. You know what? Yeah, we will float a lot of stuff on the show <laughs> that are jokes. That become real, and lo people love to point that out. That we, you know, that we've talked about. Haha, -ha, wouldn't it be funny to do a Homestuck podcast? Haha, -ha, wouldn't it be funny to do XYZ, you know, a Stephen King podcast? Uh, we've done that. I am here to say I will never record a Mega Tokyo <laughs> podcast ever, unless someone gives me a lot of money <laughs> to do it. <laughs> uh, you know, in the same way that Hussey has a lot of narrative escape patches, I have the money escape mm -hmm. patch which is that I will read anything for money, but for Mega Tokyo, it would require a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Like an unbelievable <laughs> amount of money. But I'll do Great. it. If you, get, if you got a podcast network somewhere, you want you you want to hire a ringer to read <laughs> Mega Tokyo with you. I'm, I'm your guy. Oh, great. Uh, yeah, so... <laughs> you would also have to pay me money, but maybe not as much. Um, What's the, the My Favorite Murder People? Oh. Where, you know, they got their own podcast mur network yeah. now. They, I'll remake a Tokyo for them yeah. if they give me, you know, like 1.1 1 .1 million. <laughs> yeah. True, true crime pro podcast network. Uh, reach out to us if you want us to talk about Mega Tokyo for you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, I firm at 1.1. 1 .1. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that that's all to, to talk about Leet. Uh, also, you know, GC gives us that exposition dump. Um, mm -hmm. All this characterization of the trolls. Uh, of course, people are people have figured out that there are uh, more of these and they want to know more about more of them. Right. People. Uh, this is the thing that Homestuck is doing. Right. It's constantly answering uh, questions that people have and then adding new questions or adding sort of like a 
a, a set of things, right? A, a sort of progressional order that people can expect to work through. So we've gotten some answers about what this game is and how it works. Uh, but also we have this new mystery of who, like, why are there so many of these other players? Like, what was their game session? Like, why are they so invested in this game session? What's going on here? Who are all these characters going to be? Uh, then we have just like this completely out of nowhere thing where Jade's birthday present to John is something she has collaborated on with someone she only calls a pen pal. And like that package just shows up in the flashback that we see. Like it, it, yeah. Has that come up before? This pin pal is this the first time the pin pal is being mentioned? This is the first time. This is how this is introduced. Prior to this, Jade mm, Jade has talked about uh, how it has been difficult working on John's birthday present, and it's taken her a long time. But that's as much as we know. So this pin pal is a new thing. Yeah, I don't like that. Mm-hmm. You, you want to say more, or just you want to say you don't like no. it? You don't like pin pals. <laughs> No, yeah, yeah. It's, I'm, I'm morally against <laughs> No, no, no. It's that we we know so much about this present, and that's been kind of a lingering mystery. And it feels like, like, look, you're making narrative in time, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's not as if Hussey has like this whole thing plotted out and is just like filling in the gaps. Well, I'm sure some of it is plotted mm-hmm. out, but uh, you know, it feels a little bit weird mm-hmm. that like, you know, that would be the case. Uh, that. That there's a like one of the originators or one of the co-creators of this thing is only now being mentioned, even though this has come up a bunch of mm-hmm. times. It's nitpicking, whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, I didn't. I, I when I read it, I was like, did I just forget that? But no, I don't think I no. did. Uh, I did think most of the interesting stuff, like as far as like big beyond the info dump that happens here, most of the big interesting stuff to me is the with the peregrine mendicant being the postal manipulator or whatever. <laughs> postal manipulator whatever is very good. Called. Uh, you know uh it back in time right because all of this is happening back in time Mm -hmm. yeah we're we're paying off the fact that uh when we first got jade's like dream self flying through prospect uh there was that point where she passed over someone who appeared to be pm and in fact turns out to actually be pm uh who is the postal manipulator here uh what did what did you like about this well so when they're in prospect and uh, purple. Uh-huh. <laughs> when they're in those places, they're in the far past. They are in the they are in the game session. So this is a thing that right. uh, should be stated clearly, especially if you're not reading along. Um, there is a timeline that Earth is on, right? Uh, Correct. like Earth gets created, all this stuff happens. The kids play the game, go into, or you know, mm-hmm. uh, Earth gets like civilization gets destroyed. Uh, the agents show up as these exiles in the far future and are doing all this stuff. That is like one whole timeline. All of the stuff that happens in the game is happening in a space, right? The, this is a thing that Nana says. Um, and it's also like one of the when when John uh, first enters the medium and starts what back up even more when John is talking to people on pester chum in the early acts, um, before he enters the medium, uh, there are timestamps on those pester logs. And once he enters the medium, the time becomes zero, 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 zero. So the medium is chronologically untethered from anything that happens in earth's timeline. So, uh, like, you know, all the stuff happening for PM on uh, Prospect and Purpo and all that uh, is happening in her past, right? But it is not really like the Earth's past. 
Got it. So when when uh, the Peregrine Mendicant is exiled from uh, Prospect mm-hmm. and Purpo, mm-hmm. she is being injected into like the the time after the meteors hit, but before we pick up with them. Yes, in the future. Got right, it. right, right. Okay. So the the end of her story in the game is she's just inter she's injected into the real timeline real world timeline quote unquote mm-hmm. got it okay so so practically in the past for her phenomenally mm-hmm. but and for us reading it but not in causal time okay mm-hmm. i got it. okay anyway but so all kinds of interesting stuff going on here right so 1531 she's like coming to try to get this package the little green package she's looking for she teleports in there's a little cat harlequin mm-hmm. And a little um, uh, Cthulhu Harlequin. Mm-hmm. We're in a business mm-hmm. suit. These are things associated with Rose. Mm-hmm. Okay. So just noting that. Then next panel, um, it's one of the dudes. It's one of the what you call oh, yeah. He's got a, a little diamond badge on his uh, suit, right? Uh, that's Diamond's mm-hmm. Droog. Or it's, it, it looks like someone we've known before as Diamond's Droog. Mm-hmm. But wearing cat ears, it looks like, <laughs> instead of a hat. Yes. <laughs> Uh-huh. So just that's interesting. And then uh wandering al- around and then we find another sexy mm-hmm. lady who looks an awful lot like a sexy lady we've already met. Well, looks a lot like her. Looks a lot like Snowman. Mhm. Where wearing a uh I what is it like a tube top? Mm-hmm. This is like a tube yep. top. We're in a tube we're in a Harlequin's tube top. Mm-hmm. Um and but has the scarred eyeball or you know the the scar across the eye. Does Snowman have that scar across the no, eye? No, that scar came from uh, the cut up Harlequin doll. Remember, John had that Harlequin doll that uh, pieces uh, yeah, of glass yeah, got yeah, thrown yeah. into it. Then that got thrown into the Colonel Sprite, and then those properties of that Harlequin doll have been transferred to uh, the Black Queen, and also got all the imps, or some of them. Yeah, not yeah. all the imps have it. Uh, oh yeah. So we, we get this, you know, we get yet another sexy lady and then like we get exactly the stuff that you talked about, but then we get in the future, we get this egg that shows up mm-hmm. and then another sexy lady jumps out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The chromatic inversion of the black queen, uh, who is only named as the windswept questant. And we have mm-hmm. established some things about how these character names work. And again, this is a problem sleuth thing, uh, right? Uh, uh, problem sleuth characters get reduced to kind of their initials. And this is especially helpful when you end up with multiple versions of the same character, which is a thing that happens in problem sleuth. Mm-hmm. And of course, we're going to get w- wave quieter <laughs> later. <laughs> the combination windswept questant and Dave Strider. <laughs> That's a cold shot. <laughs> oh, okay. Yep. <laughs> uh, the uh, but anyway, so like, oh, that's really weird. It's all interesting. Mm-hmm. It's all big plot. I mean, she's named the fourth exile. In case you don't know what's going on, <laughs> or you know, the prompt is is uh, fourth exile. Mm-hmm. But all that's pretty interesting to me. I mean, just in in general sense, or. It's it's always so fascinating yeah. to me, like what it is that you find interesting here, Cameron, because frankly, 
your tastes and interests are so aside from what I think like a lot of mainline Homestuck readers are at this point, um, but also even sort of in the moment, like people really like uh, you know, people, people love all these characters, right? There's no character that someone that they show up and people are like, oh, my God, more postal manipulator. Um, mm-hmm. But to find kind of this to be the most interesting thing here uh, is is just fascinating to me. How is this not the most interesting? What are people engaging with in this content? If the, if it's not the the you know the postal person going and finding all these like weirdly previous characters and then a completely new character who's an inversion of the character that we learned about <laughs> in the intermission who has become the queen of Harlequin sexy ladies like what are people engaging with if not that like that that is so much more interesting than like dave's goddamn crow sprite who cares <laughs> like that's so so boring that like like oh he's gonna go have to find that fucking egg great yeehaw we're gonna go live through this a third time and then a fourth time oh my god like i could not care less like the thing that i care about here is the novelty of narration not like the roteness of the gameplay Mm -hmm. um and that's what it feels like at this point it's like oh yep they all have to hit the same markers and so i'm gonna have to live through that but to the extent i do like that in some places here uh it, it happened during the intermission where uh, it's clear that Hussey doesn't want to have to deal with some of the repetition. Mm -hmm. And so (laughs) at one point it was like all that stuff happens and it's just screen caps of all the previous things that have occurred. Um, You know, it's like, okay, all these things happen. And I think it actually happens here with Dave a couple times too, where it's like, yes, Dave does some of these things, whatever. (laughs) Um, And then we kind of shortcut it a little Mm -hmm. bit. I, the thing I do like about the Dave thing, though, is that they're able, he's, that Dave is able to torrent some of <laughs> Yes, grist torrent. <laughs> yeah, grist torrent. He's able to steal some of John's grist. I did like that mm-hmm. a lot. Oh, I thought that was fun. Yeah, I like that. I also, I, I mentioned it in my summary. Like, I like how uh, Dave concocts this scheme for tricking John into drinking a bottle of his pee and then doesn't do it. Uh because I don't know, like that's that strikes me as like a very like adolescent male friendship thing <laughs> like that. It, it 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 does. That That is so fascinating to me because it, it it strikes me as that. And then it also strikes me as not belonging in the story anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like it, like I was like, oh, that's a payoff from a, for a from a joke, you know, from a couple thousand pages ago or a thousand, you know, a thousand pages ago, I guess. And it weirdly doesn't fit into, like, the narrative tone of what's happening anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, I, it really stuck out to me as odd. As like, oh, yeah, there is this, like, pee joke thing yeah. <laughs> from <laughs> they're invested in. Uh, because there's still these, like, teenagers. But the story doesn't seem to really be about that. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know. It, it felt really friction-y to me in a way that was odd. Uh, and I think that that's going to be an interesting thing going forward as well, because uh, Homestuck, uh, something you said about the end of Act 3 animation, I think, um, was that Homestuck is always going to try to do both things at once. Yeah, a lot of things pulling against each other in this entire comic. Uh, so it's going to be like the serious mythopoetic uh, hero's journey bullshit. And it's also going to try to be like the undermining or a uh, parody of that exact sort of thing. So we're going to have this kind of like 
uh, wild, uh, interconnected, like, realities and space-time things happening at the same time that the this kid is going to figure out a way to use the, the those exact same things, right? The, the, the sort of tools that allow these characters to manipulate reality in this way in order to tricking his best friend into drinking a bottle of pee based on the 1980s, like, children's film Little Monsters starring Fred Savage and Howie Mandel, right? Uh, mm-hmm. and the only reason that part is going to happen is because like for a moment, this story is going to be, uh, going to remember that these are 13 year old kids and that that's like a, a sort of believable, like uh, a 13 year old pranksterism. Um, but then also, as, as I said, right, like this whole thing gets mapped out, right? It's a reader command. So like, uh, the command is submitted, Hussey sees it, maps out precisely how it could happen and then doesn't do it. And in some way, it ends up being almost like a, a what we've talked about in Too Much Future, um, kind of like the asshole version of uh, all of your speech options, where it seems like rather than actually choosing those speech options, your point is to like see them and laugh about them, but then and then move on, right? Sort of the possibility is the joke more than uh, sort of the the actuality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you you asked. You know, if they're not uh, talking about all this stuff, if the readers are not talking about this stuff, what are they talking about? Well, I'll tell you some of the things that they were talking about. Um, And I've already said some of this off mic to you. Uh, I can feel the temperature changing in the forum thread. And this is fascinating to me. Like, uh, I knew that this would happen, right? Like, I I was there. Like, I remember kind of how this how this worked out. Um, But the feeling of uh, escalation in the readers is palpable in a way. You know, funnily enough, Homestuck up until this point has been a lot about um, watching timers count down to things, very much like Lost. Uh, And reading the forum thread is like, it feels like I am watching a timer count down because I know (laughs) there is going to become a point here where, you know, hell is unleashed. What are people talking about then? Uh... Pattern recognition has gone wild. Uh, People are looking for things that may become significant in the future. People are realizing things like, hey, each of the kids has had an instrument that they play. Um, Almost all of the kids up until a certain point have had their instruments destroyed. Whose instruments have not been destroyed? I want someone to double check. Does anyone who's been reading along remember, like, you know, where Jade's base is or something like that? Is this going to be important? Um, uh, People are also noticing things like uh, Aimless Renegade is a carnivore. Because he has sharp teeth. Remember that WV has blunt teeth and uh, there's a, a, a comment made during one of his early segments um, about how he likes to eat green things, right? He likes to eat plants, so he's an herbivore. So people are seeing that uh, AR has sharp teeth, therefore he's a carnivore. Um, hmm. There are people, uh, I, I, I sent you this one. Um, so when Dave's uh, uh, entry item shows up and it's an egg, people... it. What people notice, not people notice a pattern, not really people see or trying to figure out what the pattern is. So John's entry item was an apple. Rose's was a bottle. Uh, Dave's is an egg. So how do we how do we figure out the pattern? What is the pattern here? What's the logic? What is Jade's entry item going to be? So people are speculating. I think Jade's entry item is going to be this type of thing. And here is my reasoning. Um, Here is uh, someone I don't remember. I can't click up to find out uh, 
why they thought this, but it's it's context. Someone is saying, I bet that Jade's entry item will be a lamp. Uh, uh, this is a quote, uh, and someone in the post that I really want to read has responded, no, it will start with the letter F because, uh, and then they sketch out the pattern here, apple, arrow to bottle, arrow to egg, arrow to question mark, then takes the initial uh, letters of each of these words, apple, bottle, egg, so A, B, and E to question mark. Uh, if we convert these to numbers, we have one, two, five. So what's the next number in the sequence? Does this sequence of numbers of one, two, five map onto anything? Uh, well, it turns out, you know what? Uh, this is the Engel expansion for the golden ratio, which goes one, two, five, six, 13, 16, 16, 38, et cetera. The key here is one, two, five, six. F is the sixth letter of the alphabet. So therefore Jade's entry item must start with F. <sighs> What do you think of this, Cameron? <laughs> that made me sweat for some mm -hmm. reason. That like that triggered some sort of fight or flight mm -hmm. response in my body. So uh, it's uh, it's not bad, but it's not good. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. There are so many posts like <laughs> that's, this. That's investment. That's a lot of investment, is what I will mm -hmm. say. And there, there are just there are so many posts like this, right? Trying to discern the logic, literally, like multiple types of constants and uh. Uh, like equations are being brought up that people are trying to figure out, does this secretly map into some way that this story is working, right? Uh, the the reason I, I bring this up, um, I, I'll say off the top, right? This does not turn out to be true. This is not like <laughs> uh, the angle expansion for the golden ratio has nothing at all to do with uh, like plot developments in Homestuck in the future. Um, but this person, this poster, uh, presents this idea uh, not in uh, – it is unclear, right, to what degree this is intended to be taken seriously. It is truly speculation, right? This is not a person who is, like, planting their flag, like, here is the direction Homestuck is going to go. It's like, here's a pattern that could be relevant. And it uh, results in a bunch of people responding to this post down thread um, being like what I just said, right? Oh, actually, you know, here's another, uh, like, numerical system you can use to arrive at a different possibility, right? If you assume that that uh you know this particular uh number is in any way significant to the story then all sorts of things might happen in the future uh it is you know just pure unbridled speculation uh but also weirdly enough uh mixed with things like oh we see that ar has sharp teeth therefore he's a carnivore uh questions about like what is the weather like on lolar or these various planets right so many questions so many um ways of approaching this fictional world uh where people want to know what it is right in an ontological sense how it works and what it does uh uh, they're doing this and they're not thinking of themselves as like scientists, right? They're thinking through this as people who play video games. They're looking for uh, the like little bits of like design, right? The things that are not explicitly stated or tutorialized, um, but that nevertheless may become useful information in the future, right? Uh, there is a question, an overriding question, I think, in readers right now, um, historically, of like, 
what information is this thing communicating to me? And uh, how do I account for the fact that I know it can be unreliable, right? It's being tricksy with me. How am I going to outsmart this thing communicating information to me? How am I going to uh, uh, sort of grok the pattern before it makes it explicit? Well, it's just like, uh, it's an interesting way of engaging with something because it really is just like waiting for the other shoe to drop. Mm -hmm. As like a mode of engagement. Which again, Homestuck made this world. This is what? 85% of mainstream media <laughs> at this point, right? Like I can't wait until the next Nintendo Direct so I find out Yeah. What what what? <laughs> Who's the Smash character gonna mm -hmm. be? Right, like, uh, no, 100%. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's that it, it is anticipation. It is speculation and anticipation as the content of the world. It does not matter who the next Smash character mm -hmm. is, right? I mean, we know who the last one is at this point, right? But it really doesn't matter, right? Because the the purpose of it is to, in, in, from a media ecology standpoint, right? We get a lot of fun speculation beforehand. We all get to have our ideas, and then we get to have our uh, massive disappointments about who it will be afterward, right? We all get to write our, um, you know, uh, Waluigi was done wrong article. Mm -hmm. And then we get to speculate, well, Waluigi, is he going to be in the launch of the next Smash game, right? Like, the, our relationship to the future and the future of commercial products in particular defines almost all of our media um, mm -hmm. life. You know, the the there is more discussion about movies that will be coming out in the next eight months than there is about those movies for the, the eight months after they mm -hmm. come out. Right. Um, we are future oriented as a pop culture sociality, mm -hmm. which is really funny because we are not future oriented beyond maybe a year. <laughs> you know, right. we're, we're aggressively bad about thinking about long-term consequences mm -hmm. in a general sense. Right. You know, uh, you know, I don't want, don't, don't want to get too depressing on the podcast, but, uh, the next hundred years are looking pretty mm -hmm. rough for the world in a broad and general sense. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, that's our media ecology. And I, I feel like, um, this fan culture, it's the early two thousands that, that really accelerates this fan culture, uh, partially because of the connective capacities, mm -hmm. you know, uh, producers, you know, uh, people who are making this stuff, corporate interests from any, anything from the most corporate Disney, you know, interest possible to the small business content creator, right? <laughs> you know, the, the, the Andrew Hussies of the world, everyone is kind of picking up on this and, you know, it's the era of spreadable media. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the era of everyone kind of recognizing the, the you know, the thing is, you know, spreadable media, really popular book written um, by, I'm so sorry to the other co-authors, co but uh, Henry Jenkins, big media uh, theorist and, and um, you know, someone considering the shape of the media landscape. And then two other co-authors who I think were maybe his graduate students or if not his graduate students, then kind of compatriots. Sam Ford and Joshua Green. Um, there you go. You got got it. Did you know it off the dome or did you? Uh, I have this in a document because I was going to talk about spreadable media in a future episode. <laughs> oh, there you go. So, right. And if I'm not mistaken, those two other co-authors are now over in kind of content creation and executive positions in media corporations. Mm -hmm. um, you know, th this is a the our modes of analysis to understand what the hell was happening with the acceleration and expansion of the Internet in the early 2000s 
is it's not like only you and I perceived it, right? <laughs> <laughs> like it was being perceived by many people across many uh, field formats, including people in PR, uh, executives at media corporations themselves, although they were a little bit behind, but but not that far behind, right? We have, and I say we, Twitter and the Twitter media commentariat seems to believe that like media executives are just woefully ignorant and that like when decisions are made that are not immediately apparent or understandable to random t- Twitter user 22818, that that is somehow some big media mistake of the people who are out of touch. And the reality is, I'm sorry to break it to everyone, but the reality is, is that if you can't understand a decision that is made by a corporate interest in the media sphere in the year 2021, that's not because they've made some sort of tactical error, although it might have, you know, there's some opportunity for that to happen. It is because you have a different view of what the media landscape is than they Mm do. Um, And the fact that they will be absolutely replaced immediately if they don't fail upward, <laughs> you know, so even if the failure in some sort of perceptive capacity, you know, so if the if the million dollar, uh, you know, multi-million dollar blockbuster doesn't generate the amount of revenue on release, well, that might not have been the strategy to begin with, right? Like the, uh, they have a different, they have an orthogonal view of what success looks like than we do on the ground. Mm-hmm. And they have just as developed uh, models of that is any kind of you know career mm-hmm. academic does or is any kind of career consultancy organization does mm-hmm. and uh it's important to ha- kind of have that in mind and so mm-hmm. you know i'm looking at this and i'm looking at th- you know the expansion of modes of investment and things like that and i can only see you know 2021 on that in our future oriented um always disappointed capacity mm-hmm. I don't always mean to bring it up, but good God, pay attention to any of these Marvel miniseries yeah. where every everyone hates them, right? Yeah. Like everyone who's talking about them critically, they all hate them. Every single person watches mm-hmm. them, right? You hate all these things and you watch them and talk them uh, consistently and across the board, right? And that is our, you know, our media um thing and i i do this too like mm-hmm. i'm not this is not just be, me poking fun at someone this is this is the future oriented media consumptive environment that we live in we exist for the most part to be to to have our expectations let mm-hmm. down and to be disappointed in the follow through of basically anything and our disappointment is in fact the fuel for generating additional speculative capacities for making us invest in new media homestuck made this world Homestuck made the world. Homestuck grasped onto something that media has understood for a very long time, but has not monetized to the capacity that uh, that it it does Mm -hmm. now. And that's entirely what it is. This is, by the way, Homestuck made this world, but also we talked about in an earlier episode, Survivor. Mm This is Survivor, mm-hmm. right? Like, and this is things like All Star series for any reality show, mm-hmm. right? Let's get another bite at the apple of your disappointment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what if your faves comp- could come back and fail mm-hmm. again? Um, <laughs> that's the ultimate dream. <laughs> oh, Cameron, this comic is going to go places. Um, Great. Um, <laughs> so yeah, uh, uh, <laughs> did you have more to say? I'm very sorry. It's just. No, I don't. I think that's it. I think that's probably all I have to say about this act, in fact, or about this episode piece 
of the first part of Act One, unless you have something interesting to add. To okay. Me. Well, I, I have some some things that I want to cover. Um, I have also, you know, basically talked uh, all I need to talk about the, the actual content here, but to dig a little bit more into his, history and what's happening. Uh, well, I mentioned that uh, Hussey had started a forum spring, and there are just a few questions that. Uh, get asked there with some answers that I think are worth noting or talking about a little bit at this point. Um, this is, you know, all it's mirrored on the internet. You can find it and read through it if you like, uh, as, because it's this type of thing. A lot of the questions are just really stupid things that people are writing in and, uh, Hussey gives, you know, like chilly or stupid answers, depending on however they're feeling. Um, but here are just a few things uh, that I want to touch on. Here's a, here's the question. Is Jade Asian? Is this supposed to be a racist social commentary sort of thing? Is, I, I yeah, I, I want to pause before we get to this answer, which we're going to have some things to say about this answer. But uh, I want to like I just want to like ruminate on the question that I truly do not understand is like, is Jade Asian? If she were, what? <laughs> like, is this? Per mm -hmm. Well, yeah, we have to. We, you have to address it linearly. <laughs> uh, is Jade? I mean, technically, yes, right? What? No, we're we're gonna get to this answer, but like the question is: Is Jade Asian? And then is this supposed to be a racist, racist, racist social commentary sort of thing? Like, what's the racist thing here? Like, what does this question? Does the questioner think that having Jade be Asian would be racist? I don't know. I don't. I don't get the commentary part. Yeah. Maybe I just you know I'm not part of the fan community at the time. I mean, she's from the Pacific Islands. Uh, not, not from main, I mean, so, mainland Asia. Uh, you're, you're picking up on something that uh, the fans are asking about, right? This is why this question gets mm -hmm. gets asked because, yeah, uh, Jade is living on the Pacific Islands, uh, and people are like, "Hey, does that does that mean she is Asian?" Um, and that's why this question comes up here. Her her grandfather does not appear to be Asian. not a her grandfather appears to be like an Englishman stereotype. <laughs> uh, here is Hussey's response. And I'm I'm going to read this, but I want you to know that like this is a racist joke just ahead of the time, right? Uh, it's not like uh, bottom of the barrel, but it's 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 flippant irony. Hussey says, "I consider the kids a racial." So I'm going to call that like just give you a date on this, February twenty fourth, twenty ten. You may expect Cameron. We are going to be revisiting this comment multiple times. Okay. Okay. I consider the kids a racial. The only race they obviously definitely aren't is black, which is very racist of me. Is there more? Wait, is there more to that? <laughs> that's it. <laughs> no, that's it. That's the answer. Well, that's interesting that I mean, this is, you know, Andrew Hussey very conveniently giving us the idea that, uh, you know, uh, blackness is the racial guarantor of all of the raciality. Mm -hmm. Uh Really, uh, black studies could do a whole lot with this one mm -hmm. comment. Uh, wait, what? What day is this? February twenty fourth, twenty ten. Twenty fourth. Okay, I just want. I wanted. I wanted to write that mm -hmm. down just in case. But uh, okay, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in about in about four or five years of narrative time, um, mm -hmm. we are going to. Have, there are going to be further discussions, right? This is twenty ten. I the, the other thing that I want to say is that this gets put on form spring. No one in the something awful thread 
cares about this has brought it up. It has mentioned it, which I think is kind of par for the course for where uh, something awful was in 2010. I don't want to say that no one was criticizing this answer because I think for certain it is not true. I think those people that were probably on the official forums um, and those things are, you know, gone uh, in large parts, right? Lots of lots of those were lost in, in the crash. Um, I know there have been some comments from Hussey and some of the other forum spring stuff uh, suggesting that uh, people, for instance, uh, that people had voiced concerns over the use of the R word um, that were kind of being mm-hmm. shrugged off. So, uh, which which has ratcheted up a little bit in this uh, at the beginning of Act yep. Four. I've actually noticed mm-hmm. that it ratcheted up quite a bit, um, much more common than it was earlier in the. So yeah, I mean, you know, I'm being being a little bit uh, uh, facetious when I say that 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 Jade uh, is uh, Asian because of you know a Pacific island. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they they are um, you know, they in the Scott McCloud you know uh, description to iconicity, mm-hmm. right? They are closer to iconicity, but I would say implicitly they're white, mm-hmm. right? Is the assumption? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, certainly Jade's grandfather has a lot of aesthetic signifiers that associate themselves with a particular stereotype of a white type of character. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that big bushy mustache, this like explorer kind of, you know, uh, safari man, that kind of mm-hmm. shtick. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I have assumed all these kids are white. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, there's not a, a, we will have more conversations on this topic, right? This is going to become a flashpoint within the fan community and people are going to point back at this specific post. Final part. Um, I already said that uh, we have finished on the page where Hussey stopped like the, the last reader command. Uh, so what happens, uh, just just so we can know, right, what is the last reader command? Well, Dave and Jade are trying to set up so Dave can enter the game. A whole bunch of new game construct uh, things get made, uh, like, you know, things with bizarre, like, teleportation powers, and there's, like, a blender that you hook into to something, and all this crap. Um, and people are fiddling around with it, trying to figure out what it does. Nothing useful is happening. Uh, and then someone enters a command through like a punch card, like, you know, use a we're like combining different types of punch cards. Uh, someone generates a gigantic metal bro like the, there's like a bro graphic that's been repeated. That's been like the the sort of like logo of Game Bro magazine. Mm-hmm. And it's just like a dude with a, you know, backwards snapback. Mm-hmm. He's wearing sunglasses and he's kind of like, you know, doing a pose. Uh, so. The alchemeter, or alchemiter, depending on how you want to uh, pronounce that, is upgraded with a huge metal bust of this awesome bro. The device has been reduced to an utterly useless heap of shit. Time to yank out all the shunts and start over. Hussey uh, updates the forums then at this point, um, saying that the suggestion boxes will be closed until uh, 4.13, April 13th, which is the uh, one-year anniversary of Homestuck. Uh, the sort of reason given is that, you know, we're, we're on 413 suggestion boxes will reopen in the meantime, we need to like work through some stuff at a clip, right? Like the stuff, stuff needs to be kind of arranged and reader input is, uh, going only going to detract from that. Um, people are sort of ambivalent about this, uh, as you might expect, 
but they're kind of like, well, okay, right? Because we have a date where the suggestion box is going to reopen. Um, the suggestion box is not going to reopen. I will tell you that now, or it will, but uh, not when it's said, and it's going to do something different when it comes back. Uh, but someone asks on the form spring, uh, why have you moved away from letting the fans control the story? You seem more and more to have a plot you want to use and pretend uh, and pretend to you submissions. I think they meant pretend to use pretend to use submissions by fans that uh, actually would have fit into the story already in your head. Uh, give MSPA back to the fans. Hussey responds. To tell you the truth, it's statements like this that just make me want to stop using reader commands forever. There are many types of objections like this pertaining to the format that get dredged up, which are based on a complete misunderstanding about how user input works. First point, when there are hundreds of commands, you have nearly every absurd idea imaginable to choose from. So what criteria should I use to select? How about ones that sync up better with the ideas I've had and help move the story? You suggest I do just the opposite, so I should actively suffocate my own ideas in favor of random dude X's ideas, even though there are hundreds of random dude X's all making noises at once, and there is no particularly strong case to be made for any of uh, any above the others. Following your advice not only makes no sense from a creator's perspective, it would actually sabotage the story in the long run. Second point, reader commands are great for the story's early climb, establishing some elements, making something out of nothing, etc. They are not good for wrapping things up. In the early going, there is a huge amount of granularity to the action. Pick this object up, put it over here, walk through that door, and so on. You just can't finish a story with these micro-actions, though. At some point, you have to start speeding things up and tying loose ends. Reader commands don't do that enough. They will always speak in the language of microactions because that is pretty much the only thing a mock player can do. These are the remarks of someone who has spent hundreds of hours thinking about these issues and trying to make it all work. People who say stuff like, give it back to the fans, obviously haven't even spent a minute thinking about it. The fans were only ever in control in a limited way, and everything takes shape at my discretion. People just get really carried away with the whole reader-driven idea and form these weird fantasies about how it works and then take umbrage when my decisions are in violation of this fantasy protocol. Really, the only thing I don't like about the format is it seems to lend itself to these types of understandings. Hmm. Um, and now, not to dump too much on you, but I want to uh, duck into the print book and read the print commentary from several years later, obviously, on this exact same point, because I think... If we're going to make sense of Homestuck and how Homestuck works or worked, uh, this question about reader input is, is core to it. Um, Hussey says, Okay, that's it. Uh, Dave, use a punched GameBro magazine card is the last reader command ever used in this story. I will always associate this ridiculous metal bro emerging from the platform with the cessation of all formal input from the readers. I'm not exactly sure why this moment was the tipping point. The readership was already too huge to warrant ongoing command submissions before that. Maybe it was the critical mass of absurdity this particular convergence of ideas represented. I was staring down the barrel of this smug, radical dude here, which was serving no purpose other than to utterly prevent Dave from performing alchemy, and I might have been like, okay, enough, the madness stops here. Hmm. So... 
I don't know if you have anything that you would want to say about that information. I think it's a lot to process, uh, but I think there is something interesting to be said about the fact that, uh, you know, enough, the madness stops here. Oh, no, really, the madness is just beginning. We are just getting to the point where this thing is going to take off in in a way that's uh, really kind of at uh in this historical moment of, of writing uh, this form spring answer, I think sort of unimaginable. Um, and it's still going to operate on this question of like fan engagement, but not in this way of, uh, you know, actually submitting reader commands. Uh, and this is a, a you know, we, we, we already said that uh, this is kind of a, an allegory of control, right? In Galloway's language. And, here we have Hussey speaking explicitly in this language of control uh, uh, of who is deciding what happens next in this story and how is information being processed in, in narrative developments and so on. Yeah. And the fact that the readership is obviously increasing in such a way that the majority mm-hmm. of the readership doesn't care about user commands. Yeah. Like that has to be part of this, right? That some people are just reading it and they do not care about anything other than mm-hmm what's the next part of the story yeah. so you don't you don't need it anymore get out of here yeah yeah you pull this move a third of the way into problem sleuth and i don't think it works out this well so yeah i mean there we see uh the the author function right uh the author is functioning again in certain ways and here yeah. it is functioning as kind of the discretionary voice uh and it is saying to us i am tired of your bullshit reader uh but well, actually, I was going to say in a, in a slightly nicer way, but really Hussey's entire tone here is not that nice, but also I don't think necessarily they're beholden to be nice uh, because this sort of like give things back to the fans uh, ethos is it is kind of a, an interesting like point of entitlement. Yeah, the, 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 it is a you know, I, you know, I don't know if the word entitled is the word I would use, but it's certainly mm-hmm. it's one that mistakes what the relationship is. Um, you know, it's, it's one that assumes that, uh, someone exists to create something for you. And that is the only, uh, reason they exist. It is the, um, mm-hmm. uh, person who's an asshole to a service worker. Right. And if, if you see the people who make things that you like as someone who exists to serve you, that tells me a lot about how you treat other people in the service industry mm-hmm. in your life. And uh, you're probably an asshole, <laughs> uh, just in a general sense, right? Um, and I, I would, I just think, you know, be uh, there, there's no, it, it's it is a unproductive and uh, rude way of of talking mm-hmm. about people doing artistic creation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just, yeah, I think it's bad. I think it's like <laughs> a cardinal sin of fandom in a broad sense right like i just have no interest in in engaging with that or anything like it uh and if things take a turn and it's not making enough for you or it's not doing something for you just stop engaging with it because there's a thousand things on this earth that you could be spending your time doing and if something is giving you uh displeasure then then uh you know you don't have to use that as like a cudgel to, to <laughs> praise uh, the praising cudgel uh, you, you don't have to use that as a cudgel to praise someone else with right uh you can just say i enjoy this rather than this other thing sucks and so then therefore yeah. i enjoy your thing uh, you don't have to do that just uh, enjoy something <laughs> don't enjoy it because you hate something else yeah cool so uh cool 
We are Range Touch. Uh, you can find out more about us at rangetouch.com. You'll find all the information on all the shows that we do, like Game Study Study Buddies, where we read through books of academic game studies and make them accessible. Just King Things, where we are reading through the books of Stephen King in publication order. Uh, Too Much Future, our Fallout Critical Play series that is, of course, indebted to Cameron and Danny's Mages and Murder Dads, a, a Critical Play series looking at the Baldur's Gate games and their lineage. Uh... Other things that you can do on rangetouch.com, you can, uh, at the end of the URL, you can type rangetouch.com slash shop, and that'll take you to our t-shirt store. You can get some cool shirts to show off your range touch love there. Uh, if you want to give us money more directly, you can go to patreon.com slash rangetouch. Uh, give us whatever amount that you want, but note that uh, if you give us $5 a month, you'll get access to just about everything, including our Just King Things bonus episodes. Uh, and uh, at some point, we're going to be able to talk about uh, like Homestuck related bonus content that may be at that price point or some other price points. We're still working out, you know, not only how it's going to be priced, but also exactly the form that some of this content is going to take. Uh, but rest assured, it will be coming. Uh, you can also help us out by going to your podcast app or platform of choice and rating this show or any of our other shows. Give us great ratings. Uh, leave reviews. Leave funny reviews. And Cameron may at some point read them on the air. Uh, leave helpful reviews. Cameron will also read those. Uh, but it helps if they're helpful and funny. Um and I guess, you know, the other way is uh, we don't do any advertising. So letting people that you know about this show, if you think they might like it, is super cool. We would always love to have more listeners, more folks to listen to these thoughts. Um, anything else, Cameron? I think that's it. Okay, well, then you can come back soon uh, in two weeks, that is, and we will continue episode three, part two, where we will read through page... 1,770, which is a point where we are telling John to explore the lab, whatever that means. So, uh, yeah, like, join us next time. We'll, We'll continue with Act 4 of Homestuck and have more fun talk about... (laughs) how uh, capitalism is constantly priming us and then feeding off of our disappointment. It's true. 